You're listening to Electrician Live with your host, Paul Abernathy. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Electrician Live, the actual inaugural show that's coming here from electricianlive.com. Hopefully, you're seeing the stream and everything's going. Uh, my name is Paul Abernathy. Welcome to the actual podcast. Um, so on today's podcast, we're going to talk about quite a few things uh, in today's topics. So since we have it also running on the video as well, those that watch the video on our uh, channel, actually you can watch the video on electricianlive.com at the top right. There's a viewer there and you should be watching it. Slight delay. But if you're on the podcast, um, then you kind of you won't get the benefit of the visual. So I'll do as I always do. I'll paint you a picture. Kind of give you a good understanding of what's going on as we go into this podcast. So, where we're going to do this is it's an hour-long podcast. Originally, I said it was going to be 30 minutes, but you know what? You all know that I'm about as long-winded as you can get. There's absolutely no way that I could do something and stop in 30 minutes. So, we have three 20-minute segments, uh, and in the third part of each segment, we have a call-in if you want to call in. Uh, on our electricianlive.com website, you will see a little Skype button. You click on that. If you have Skype open on your phone, laptop, desktop, whatever, you can call in. Uh, but we don't want you to call in until it's time to call in. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, if you want to call in, that's fine. You want to add something to it. Um, so um, we'll be able to do that, and you'll be able to chime in on all these topics. Now, one of the things that people do or are going to do is watch the video um, and then have the podcast running, but there's a delay on the video, so it might throw you off a little bit, okay? But if you want to see the screen, because you want to see what might be popping up on the screen that I might be talking about, then that's one option for you to be able to do, okay? All right? So tonight's topics we have for the podcast is, the first one is going to be electricians and politics. Now, this could be a real... Uh, Tricky, okay? This could be a, a real tricky topic to talk about. And I notice I'm getting uh, uh, some issues. Again, hopefully it's okay on the podcast, but over on the video, you know, could be a little, could be a little sketchy. We haven't done it before on the video. So, um, so the dates topics we're having is electricians in politics. And oh, by the way, if you actually lose the video, or for some reason, because we are doing it through YouTube and I, I just don't like their streaming, trust me, starting in, a, in two weeks, uh, we have a n- next week, but starting in two weeks, we're going to have our own viewer and we're not going to use uh, uh, YouTube for this anymore. Okay? So, got to bear with me. There's so many errors involved in YouTube. Anywho, today's topics are electricians and politics. That's our first topic that we're going to be discussing. Uh, and then the next topic will be most trusted brands. Give you a chance to chime in on that. Uh, and then, of course, the next one will be inspectors versus electricians. Uh, and that's always a pretty good topic. So what we're going to try to do is I'm going to try to do 20 minutes uh, uh, to each topic and give time for people to people to call in. Okay, That's what we're going to focus on. So when I think about electricians and politics... Uh, when I'm talking about it is it's not a matter of whether or not I'm a Republican or a Democrat. It's what happens when you're on a job site 
or if you have an inspector that might come to the site. Now, I've had this happen to me where an inspector's come to the site. We get into a nice conversation. Next thing you know, it's it turns to politics. And I find out that they're, that I am not of the same political uh, uh, preference as they are. And all of a sudden, it gets kind of real cold on the job site. And so do you make a mistake? Do you talk about politics on a job site? Do you interact with the inspector? and Or do you just don't say anything? I think most people probably will just not say anything. Probably not say a, a daggone thing when it comes to the politics. But in a lot of the jobs that I've been on, it actually comes up and we have dis- discussions about it. And I've actually had people tell me that they've had electricians on a job site, especially one of the bigger projects, where they don't get along or something goes on, a disagreement, an argument, or something takes place. Uh, simply because you can have multiple electricians on a job site. One's a diehard Democrat. One's a diehard Republican. One person don't give a damn. And they get into this argument back and forth, and they it really becomes a, a heated, and it really slows down job progress, right? You can't get nothing done when everybody's arguing back and forth about politics. So many people think just... You know, don't even bring it onto the job site and don't even discuss politics. Uh, I know, for example, where I work, um, and people know that another thing I should say, whether I'm a Republican or Democrat actually has absolutely nothing how I teach code. And it should have nothing to do with how you do your job. The biggest thing that I find with electricians in politics is that for some reason it affects people. And they look at somebody differently just because they have a different political position and that's kind of dumb i've had friends who we were lifelong friends and then they find out you have a different you you have a different belief politically than they do and then all of a sudden they freak out and it's almost like all that 20 years of friendship is just shot to hell because they're like how could you vote for this or how could you be for that and i'm like it is what it is i have a choice i have an ability now no politics political discussion would be uh and again i if i lose listeners because you don't believe what i believe eh, i don't give a damn you know be honest with you um i believe that for example the bombing that we just did was adequate i think it was needed the dude killed many of our soldiers his ass needed to go so whether you believe who you believe that was a decision i believe it now you think it's going to lead to a third world war Get real. It's it's Iran, man. We could we blow them off the map, you know. Uh, love, peace, and whatever. I don't give a shit. The fact of the matter is, the the dude needed to go, and Trump took care of it. Uh, if other presidents had took care of it when they had the opportunity, we wouldn't be in that position and take care of it. There's a reason he was where he was at. That's why we took care of it. So, again, there you go. See, I get into politics, and it becomes a, an argument on on a on a site when somebody when I give my opinion of something. So I've learned to just not do it. Don't talk politics, right? When you're on a job site. Now, should you stay quiet becomes the the, the real topic, whether or not you're on a job site or not. And should you even have a conversation with your helpers? Uh, If I'm a helper and I want to, you know, I'm I'm working with an electrician, a master or journeyman, what the hell do you say? I mean, do do you have a conversation on politics? And what if the master or journeyman is a real serious um, Republican, and you're a Democrat, and you're throwing all your opposing view- views, and all of a sudden, 
what's wrong? Something's wrong with the job site. One is you're a helper. You're not going to get anywhere, you know, because depending on how hard line they are, they're going to have a different opinion of you. And you should think, no, they shouldn't because that's, that's my right to a belief. But people look at people differently when they say they're a Republican or Democrat or whatnot. So it affects things. So I would say I'm advising helpers to shut up. Do your job. Oh, did I mention I got stickers? For those that are on the video feed, if the video's video feed's still working, then, you know, then, uh, you know, I got stickers, you know. But uh, I don't know if I mentioned that or not. I got stickers. All you can get it from electricianpride.com. <laughs> so uh, that's one way to do it as well. All right, so let's get back to, I gotta get back to topic. Okay. So, politics. Should we stay quiet? My belief is shut the hell up. You get on the job site, you don't need to discuss politics. You don't need to say whether or not you're a Republican or Democrat. Uh, if you want to have small talk, have small talk. Um, so, if you got any thoughts on that, feel free to, to call in. Uh, again, how you call in in this segment is simply go to our electricianlive.com and there's a Skype button there. And I've got Skype, and the call ID is Master the NEC. If you want to call in and chime in, feel free to call in at any time. Hopefully that works. I did try that earlier, and it did work. So, you know, it's up to you if you want to call in. But um, my thoughts, again, are I had one job site where, the, where I was the inspector, uh, and I was a supervisor, and I came out, and... No sooner did I walk on the job site, the guy just wanted to tell me all of the current events of the day. I mean, every current event, right? I mean, every current event. And by doing so, uh, you know, I wasn't interested in, in listening to all of the current events, right? So um, at the end of the day, that person was telling me everything that I was supposed to believe in. Rather than let's just, I'm here to get an inspection done and let me get the heck out of here. Um, so, again, it can make for an awkward situation on a job site, no doubt. So, politics probably good to stay away from politics on a job site. So, if anybody wants to call in about that topic, you can call in anytime going to electricianlive.com. Make sure you have Skype and simply click the call button that's on our electricianlive.com. And you can call in and you can get live and give me your opinion of it or chime in if you wish. Uh, we are probably still working out some bugs in it. So um, we wanted to get it started. I really should have done this two weeks from now when we have our own streaming set up versus using YouTube. But it is what it is. Um, all right. So the, the next we're going into the next topic because I don't have anybody interested in calling in on that one it's most trusted brands tools electrical equipment you know i've been an electrician for over 30 years and i have some things i trust now it wasn't recently it wasn't until and i guess because i don't i'm not in it every day heavy uh like my brother or other electricians are that they're in it every day and i go on instagram for example and there are tons of people that are simply in love with tools. They post tool after tool after tool after tool. And after a while, I get really tired of looking at tools. Um, 
for some reason, they're very proud of their tools, and they post a lot of them. Uh, now, some people get tools that they've, you know, they're the, the first person using them, or, or they're new, they're influencers, uh, Milwaukee, or somebody sends them some tools. But, you know, I, if you've seen one uh, drill, you've seen them all. Um, but I will say, of trusted brands, um, it wasn't for about a year ago that my brother kind of got me onto the Ryobis. Uh, and, you know, he swears by him. He, so he swears by Ryobi as his trusted brand because he's dropped them off of ladders and dropped every brand off of ladders. And the Ryobis just seem to keep working. Um, I've had Milwaukee, still own Milwaukee right angle. Uh, and, you know, in, in the Sawzall from Milwaukee, and they're great. So they're a very trusted brand. So when it comes to tools, um, power tools, uh, Ryobi, I, I trust Ryobi. Some people don't like them. They say they're pro, you know, the consumer grade. They're not prosumer or professional grade. You know, I guess it's, it depends on how much you use. And if I'm still going to drill holes through studs uh, today, I'll be honest with you, I'm still going to use a, a right angle, the auger bit, and or the attachment with an extension. And I'm going to use a cord, and I'm going to have cord. Now, if I'm on a site that doesn't have power, okay, well, maybe I'm going to use a cordless with an extension. I did get some of those. My brother turned me on to that. Um, I think he's actually wired houses with the cordless drills. Um, you know, I've never done that. I've, I've always had the corded stuff to do that. So, But we're in a cordless generation right now. Everybody's using cordless to do everything. So I look at Ryobi now. Uh, there's some videos on YouTube of the Milwaukee's, Ryobi's, the Rigid's, and all those, and they're head-to-head. In other words, they, they hook them together, and they try to blow them up. <laughs> I don't know if that's bright or not. I don't know if that means anything, because that's putting a drill through something that it's never going to really see anyway. So, But there's videos out there that show that going on. Um, but the most trusted brands, I know I can trust. Now, I work for NEMA, most people know. You know, you, when you're calling electrical devices, uh, I trust uh, Square D. I trust Eaton. Uh, it gives, ends up being, uh, which Square D, Schneider. It ends up being the, what you know, not the trust. It ends up being, what do you like? It's like a Ford or Chevy thing. Are you a diehard Schneider Square D person? Do you like the QO or the BRs, the lower grade BR? Uh, you know, or do you like the Eaton stuff? Um, and the CH and BRs, uh, again, ends up being a preference. Uh, both of those brands, now I did do some uh, training for Eaton years ago, so I'm kind of intimate with the Eaton products and the CH uh, and, their, and their load centers and things like that, which are, are pretty top-notch. Uh, but I've always used Square D or Schneider uh, QOs, and I've had, never had any real problem with it. I'll be honest with you, I've never had any problem with the BRs. I do get a lot of people, when we say trusted brands, um, I do still get a lot of questions that are sent in to me about things like Federal Pacific and all that, and should it be replaced. Interesting story, Federal Pacific does get a bad rap. Yes, they did lie in order to the UL to get their listing, but in tests that were done when it was submitted to the Consumer Product Safety Commission, it, it wasn't enough evidence for them to issue anything other than, you know, any severe warning against them. It was a class action lawsuit in New Jersey. That was a self-imposed lawsuit, very close, close into New Jersey. And, and it dealt with that. But 
the same process of the backstab that was the issue with Federal Pacific is actually still being used up in Canada, and Schneider owns that design, uh, and they still sell them up there. So I'm not hearing of a huge, massive problem up there with them, but it's the same type of design. Also, they sell replacement breakers that can go into regular loads, you know, that you could get actual listed breakers now, like Challenger, a couple others, that actually can be used in a Federal Pacific. Um, But is the backstab connection the best possible connection? Probably not, but still, it's still adequate, and it's still being, like I said, used in Canada. I wouldn't put them as my most trusted brand, though, um, but I would put Schneider and Eaton. Um, and when I'm coming to devices, uh, I'm a, I kind of like Leventon. Uh, I've always migrated towards the Leventon products, so I kind of, you know, I don't have a lot of problem with their products. I consider them a trusted brand uh, as well. Uh, interesting. Coming up, I think next week is we're going to have um, solid ground cords on the show. Uh, and there it's going to be a show. This is an introductory show, so I'm just kind of talking. We'll have guests on for other shows. Um, but on that show, we have the, the CEO of that company who will be talking about the number one and number two issue with uh, extension cords on job sites. So stay tuned for that show. That's coming next week. Um, and, uh, it's really interesting to see that those cords, um, the way they're designed really do raise a level of safety in the industry. So, uh, pretty cool design they have on that. Uh, and so again, they're going to be with us next week. I believe that's next week's show. Uh, and so that's a call in show. Um, so other brands, I don't know if you have any trusted brands that you like, feel free to, to, to chime in, call in again. It's the, 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 the actual call-in button is right on electricianlive.com. There's a little Skype call button. You click on that, and you can call in and listen and uh, chime in on your most trusted brand. Uh, and so, you know, feel free to do that anytime during the show as we go through that segment. Um, brands of um, other other brands that I'm familiar with that that I'd recommend uh, probably well. You have tools. Interesting enough, a lot of people love Kleins, your Kleins tools, screwdrivers. Uh, pretty trusted brand for years. Um, I have, you know, I've, I've owned Kleins. I still own Kleins now. Uh, I do actually own some uh, Harbor Freight tools. People give me a bunch of crap for that, and I'm gonna be honest with you. Sometimes a disposable tool is good enough, and I tell you, I've gotten some pretty darn good tools from Harbor Freight. They had this line that's called Doyle and it's uh, it's plot hand, uh, side cutters, dikes or diagonals um, and it has needle nose and all this so it has channel locks and I tell you what, you put those things side by side with some of the major brands they're pretty tough, they, they do a pretty good job, so I have those those are in my tool bag yeah um, did I mention I got stickers I do have stickers, guys. We have the big stickers. These things ain't. These things are. These are five inch, almost six inch stickers. Look like little saucers, uh, and they go great on the back of vehicles to promote the show. Uh, so they're available on the website. What website? Uh, Electrician Pride, P R I D E dot com. So electricianpride.com, You'll see them there, and so that's where you can pick up stickers if you want. 
We also have shirts. I don't know if you can't see it here, but here you go. See, for those that are watching on the video, there's the Electrician Live t-shirt, one of them. Uh, they're available. But we also have other designs, too. I think it's Electrical Wizardry and the Code Mafia. <laughs> so there's little unique designs that I did for some shirts uh, and mugs and things like that. So we have those as well. Um, so other trusted brands that, that I've used and I've trusted... Uh, interesting story though, before I do that, uh, I went out to do, actually did a service call today on some underground wiring, uh, some, uh, landscape lighting. Uh, and it was here in Texas down near Plano area and it was dead and it had been dead for quite a while. So I went out there today and of course everything's buried. The original electrician doesn't remember how anything was wired, but nothing's working. Transformers working. That's fine. Output's fine. 14 volts AC. Everything was fine. But didn't know where it was running. So that's what I did this morning. I was out tracing wires around, trying to find out and map it out so we know what to fix or what's wrong. And sure enough, it was splices in the dirt in multiple locations that were just plain old wire nuts or wire binding device. You know, the Reds, uh, Buchanan's we used to call them. Uh, just simply connected the, the, the wires together and just simply threw them in the ground. So, of course, they're not rated for the environment. Uh, 300.5E tells us that we can direct bury conductors and splice them, but then it sends us to 110.14B, which is going to tell us that they have to be listed for their use. Uh, and so that's where you can't use regular wire nuts in the ground. It's going to require to use some of the listening. I was talking to my brother. I, I typically would use what's called DRYCON, but you can also get the tubes with the silicone. It's in the tube, so you make the wire nut, and then you stick it down into the silicone or grease or whatever's in there, and you seal it, and that can go in the ground. But I, I kind of like the dry cons. Uh, just simply make them up, and then I still tape them because I want them to stay together mechanically you know, better. And, and then I put it that way, knowing that the tape's not doing anything for water. It's just there mechanically, and it's probably going to go away in time anyway. It's just an extra step that might do. Uh, it's the actual wire nut that actually has the silicone and everything already in it that's the main thing. Okay, So that's what I was doing this morning, um, going out and, and fixing a, a landscape lighting. And I hate landscape lighting. So at least it was 14-volt AC. I don't like DC. I don't just don't deal with it. But it was AC, so at least I stayed in alternating current. So I got that all worked out for them. So, But I can't off a topic. Back on to most trusted brands. If you have any trusted brands, feel free to call in on Skype uh, if you'd like to call in. Um, and again, the ticker is Master the NEC, and you're able to call in on that and chime in on what trusted brands that you uh, that you really like. Um, other than that, um, you know, the Milwaukee's are probably most popular. Although I will tell you on uh, Instagram, it amazes me that people will show all their tools and the amount of free advertising that the manufacturers get. I can only imagine. And I thought I heard a discussion somewhere else. I don't know if it was another podcast or something. The sheer thought of the, of the amount of free advertising that these manufacturers get for all this Incredible, the amount of advertising they get. So, 
Uh, if you can convince an electrician, man, to shit, go on Instagram or go on so- social media and and post pictures of, the, of the, all their tools, and it is loaded with Milwaukee's or Ryobi's or or something like that, rigid or something, uh, then you know, in, at the end of the day, that's so much free advertising they give out. Um, again, ideal tools. I like ideal. Uh, great tools as well. Kind of competes with Klein. Um, and again, of course, I've got you know my Doyles from uh, Doyle from Harbor Freight, uh, which I ended up when I came to Texas. I wanted. I still got my my other tools, but I wanted some the new Kleins or <laughs> we call them Kleins. How you like that? It's like Kleenex now. My new side cutters, and I was like, I was out there getting something. And a uh, great place to pick up little things you need, especially one-off things. And I picked up some those pliers, and I liked them. I love the feel of them. So then I picked up the side cutters, the, the needle nose, the uh, channel locks, the cable cutter. They have a crimp tool, all of the whole line. And it was just, it's served me well. I, again, I don't do as much anymore as, as many of you uh, did my time, and now I... I don't do as much of that work, although I still do the electrical work when I need to get out there and do it. But I just didn't need to have a reinvest in a bunch of additional uh, tools. So I invested in those. And I've been extremely pleased with those. So it's not a commercial for a Harbor Freight, but you go check those out. Uh, they're pretty cool. Um, other Im- impressive brands, you know, interesting generators. Trusted brands, okay. Uh, Generac, very trusted. Kohler, uh, is it Kohler? Kohler, um, both excellent brands of generators. Um, I ended up picking up a small generator again. We're gonna go, we're gonna kind of go back to the Harbor Freight. I ended up picking up a little generator called Predator, uh, and it's 3500 Predator for our use in our travel trailer. Uh, or use when I'm out working on travel trailer or something like that. Interesting about that, it's an inverter generator, and it does not have a connection to the XO, so it is what we consider a floating generator. And so, you know, GFCIs that are, no GFCIs are on it, obviously, because it wouldn't work. And anything downstream from it, GFCIs aren't going to work either. Kind of interesting, I got a video that I'm going to be putting up on our YouTube channel here in the next week or two uh, on some testing that I did out on location about a generator because the manufacturer of that generator says you want to drive a ground rod. And, and of course, the code tells you portable generators, vehicle-mounted generators, not necessary, but this manufacturer, specifically Predators, uh, tell you that the only way that it would anything would work downstream uh, or any possible way that you would trip on a ground fault, you've got to put something in the ground. So... Probably not going to happen for all of us, but stay tuned for that video. That's going to come out in the next week or two uh, where I do an extensive look at GFCIs as they plug up to like travel trailers uh, and plug into the actual receptacle outlets on a, on a generator. Now, you could probably mention that most of the generators out there that had the GFCI devices into them, built into them already are going to be the kind that are connected to the frame. So, you know, considered a grounded generator. Uh, and not a non-floating generator, if you will. So, but interesting, that's going to be a neat video that I post. I haven't finished it yet, but I will be, you know, it will be finally put together here in another week or two. Okay. 
All right, so that's you know most trusted brands. I'm not getting any calls in for that. So obviously you have not a thing to say about generators or about Kohler or about Generac or about anything to do with uh, trusted brands. Okay, maybe that's just a crappy topic. That might have been just a crappy topic. Anyway, my trusted brands. Um, again, I trust Klein. Even though I've got some of the Doyle, uh, I, I like Leviton. Um, I like Square D. Uh, I like Eaton. Both of those brands. Pick your flavor. Um, I'm not a big fan of, of the old Bryant's. I'm not a big fan. I'm not a huge fan of um, GTE. No offense to friends out there that I know that work for GTE um, or, or you know or things like. I'm not a big fan of them. Um, I like Siemens, and you know what I like the most about Siemens is I like their surge SPDs, surge protective devices. Uh, great technology there. I also do like Siemens GFCIs. Uh, one of the few GFCIs that still have both the ground fault component and, uh, I guess I should say, their AFCIs. I like their AFCIs. They have both the ground fault protection in them. But they are ground fault circuit interrupter, I should say. And they also have the arc fault circuit interrupter component in it. So they still have some some, uh, GFCI component in their AFCI device. Of course, we have what's called dual function that does AFCIs and GFCIs. We got all that. But uh, I'm talking about a purely AFCI device that still has uh, the ground fault function in it. uh, Whereas others use an algorithm that doesn't. Now, of course, that might be changed since I was at NEMA. Uh, but I did remember at one time Siemens was one of the few that had that uh, concept. Um, and there's many people that are around here that believe AFCIs do not function correctly unless they have the ground fault protection built into them. Um, I've seen them all work. So I've been experienced with 1699, at UL 1699, dealing with AFCIs. So obviously I'm firmly in the AFCI camp. So whether you believe like them or not. Anyway. Siemens, I do like their surge protective device products. Okay. All right. 3M is a trusted company. I, I love 3M products. There's other kind of tapes and whatnot. I get it. But I am, uh, so I even got Gorilla tapes. And I, I am a, a 3M guy. I love their sealants. I love all the stuff that they deal with. Uh, pulling lubricants. Believe it or not, uh, one of the companies that I really like is Polywater. So they have Polywater has a, uh, quite a few different types of raceway sealants, but they also do the pulling lubricants and things like that. So I, they, I'm, they make a great pulling lubricant. So that's one of the manufacturers that I like uh, as far as uh, pulling lubricants, Polywater. Uh, obviously, GMB or there's some other manufacturers. Ideal even makes some. It tends to be a bit sticky for me, even though it's pulling lubricant. It just seems to dry out really quick with friction. Uh, Polywater just seems to pull, pull, pull. And the friction never causes it to. Uh, have you ever taken your hands and, you, and you're dirty and you rub them together real and start generating that heat? And you look at it and you have all these little lines of the skin and it gets sticky. Well, when you're pulling raceways and you're pulling them through raceways, hopefully you size your raceways right. If you're not, you need to go watch our video on raceway sizing over on our YouTube channel. Uh, because if you do it a certain way and you pull it, you can have that pulling lubricant then become friction. And that becomes a problem and it's kind of counterproductive to the pull. So picking your pulling lubricant and using too much pulling lubricant can be a problem. You don't want to just cake it on. I know some people subscribe to that. 
It's not necessary to cake it on. All right. So anyway, there's a bunch of different types, but I, I like poly waters uh, pulling lubricant. All right. Okay. So that's that topic when we talked about most trusted brands. Uh, the next thing that we that I wanted to talk about on this episode was inspectors versus electricians. And what happens when there's a disagreement on a job site in the authority? And, and I guess I would talk a little bit about the concept of inspectors and what their their role is because I was one. I supervised them. I oversaw them. Uh, but I've also been an electrician for 30 years. So you look at it from two different sides. We have some people to say the inspectors will generate what we call. I did a, I did a podcast called The God Complex. Um, you can go listen to it over on our podcast on, a, on our website at masterthenec.com or it's also over on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash masterthenec. And when I did that, actually, you know what? Let's go back to me now. Um, one of the things that I noticed is that sometimes you have an inspector who might not have the same electrical background as you. Uh, and, it you know, believe it or not, you do not have to be... A, uh, a, actually we had a, we had a call from Alex. Alex, if you're listening, please feel free to call back in. I didn't see it because I had it on, I had it on mute. So that's another mistake that I've made during my period of doing this live show. I've already made two mistakes during this entire show. Here you go, Alex. Hey Alex, you on the air? Hey, how's it going, Paul? All right, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I uh, was having some trouble calling in. Yeah, you know what? 15 minutes or so. Yeah, I got I got all kinds of bugs going on with this thing. But <laughs> hey, I'm I'm but, not uh, using. I, I don't even know. I don't even know if the YouTube uh, YouTube one's still running or not. I'd be honest with you, I don't know. Yeah, um, I saw it on there. I tried to get through that too, but. Yeah, uh, it, either way, no, I wanted to chime in on a couple things you had said so far, actually. Yeah, cool. Go for it. Yeah, so regarding, like, political correctness and all that, mm-hmm. I think that's best left off the job site, you know. If, if you want to stay productive, I think it, it can, can cause arguments and stuff, like you've said. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I've been on a job site where it, it was the actually, like I said in the example, I was the inspector. And the moment I got on there, I guess the, the electrician thought that I was there to have a, a political debate or something. Um, mm. I'm not so sure how that he thought that would benefit his inspection passing. You know? <laughs> yeah, probably not so much. No, especially if he didn't agree. Now, if he agreed with me, man, we, you know, hey. But, hey, yeah, yeah. yeah but but you never day, know. Yeah, and everybody's day, just, different. Yeah, just imagine if you're on a, I don't know if you're on a, a union site or a big site where you've got tons of electricians, so you've got all these different, uh, everybody's got this ego, this masculine, every, you know, everybody believes their way is the only way. Something to prove. Yep, and so you're there, and you're, now you've got all these people, and you start, an argument starts out. If I'm a foreman, that's my, that's a worse nightmare. If I'm, oh, the, yeah. if I'm the owner... And I'm out there, and and I've got Johnny won't talk to Jimmy because Johnny's a Republican, and he didn't like the <laughs> fact that we just bombed somebody, and he's upset about it. Then it's counterproductive. So I would exactly. imagine, I'd imagine there's some job sites that are going to say at the morning meetings they're going to say, guess what? No politics. Yeah, 
I mean, it's going that way now, just because, like you've said, people are people get sensitive to things now. Can uh, can't just say whatever like you used to be able to. But you know, at the end of the day, you gotta gotta get the job done. Everybody's there to just do the work and go home. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But that, and then regarding tools, I think yeah. everyone's going to have their own preference. You know, same thing with that. Yeah. <laughs> whatever feels good for you is, is probably best. But I know, I know when I was coming up in the trade, if you had told me that I could go to, you know, and I get, I get heat for this one, that you could go <laughs> to Home Depot and buy your complete pouch worth of electrician tools, that I would get... You know, my I would get beat to death. You know, somebody would give me total crap about it, right? Mm-hmm. Today, those tools that I mean, and I've over thirty years, and I've had the Kleins and this, and, and every the other different, you know, uh, was it Kip, Knipics? Kipic? Knipics? Yes, yeah, hard to say. It. It. I've had all those. And I walked into, you know, and I'm not, again, I'm not stumping for a Home Depot, but I mean, uh, did yeah. I say Home Depot? Harbor Freight. Harbor Freight, yeah. Yeah, I'm not stumping for Harbor Freight, except for the fact that I picked up some and I went and was messing with them. And I was like, God, these things feel like a, no disrespect to Klein, but I said, they feel like Klein. <laughs> so, yeah. Will they hold up and will they, re- will they take them back? <laughs> that's the question. Yeah. Now, that's the good thing is the one thing about Harbor Freight, they take anything back. I have I had I went and got a uh, wrench, a big wrench or something, and it, it ended up breaking one of the teeth off of it. They just and swap I went it back out? in there, gave it to them, and they gave me another. They said, oh, okay. you know. so now I've had my Doyles. I love saying that Doyle. And <laughs> I had that for I've had them now for a year, and again, I don't I don't do as much as is the next anymore. I'm getting getting too old, and I I, I mainly teach codes and stuff now, but. As mm-hmm. I said in the thing, I, I did go on a sir. I go on service calls every now and then. Still have my electrical company here, yep. um, and most of the calls I get are from uh, locally uh, from electricians or somebody that might be something they can't figure out troubleshoot. And and that's what I like to do. I like to uh, I like seeing awkward, unique things. So that's yeah, what, I think it engages your mind when you have to figure out what's going on. You know. Yeah. So that's what this was, and. The electrician didn't know where anything, couldn't remember where anything was. And I say electrician because it was low voltage. I don't even know if he was electrician, electrician, because, you know, some of these rules with the voltage being below, you know, this is 14 volts. They might not even have a an actual license. Yeah. So I didn't go there yeah. with it. I did notice that the wiring in the flower bed, instead of using low voltage wiring, the guy used THHN, THWN-2 just running loose in the dirt. And I was like... Wow, that's, that's a kind of a no-no. Yeah, I said, "Well, that's kind of jacky." Even though, then I had to look on to see if it was Uncle Wires, <laughs> so and okay. it wasn't. So I was like, "Okay, then who cares about them?" But um, yeah, that's the kind of crap, and I'm sure you you run into that. So where where are you located? Uh, I live in Colorado and oh. just started an apprenticeship a little less than a year ago. Awesome. So you're so. just going out of the you're still in the first year or going to the second year? Uh, still in the first year. Still yeah. in the first year. Excellent. Yep. What got but, you? In, uh, what got you in the trade? So I moved up with some uh, family up here, and uh, a lot of. Well, let's just say I'd done blue collar work in the past. I'd done welding and machining, fabrication, but uh, always was kind of interested in doing electrical work. And once I came up here, I uh, 
kind of pursued it, got into an apprenticeship, and I've loved it ever since. Awesome, awesome. It's it's it's. I've been in it for over thirty years, and uh, I love it. It's a, electrical work. I, you know, I do say that to people all the time. You know, you've been doing it for thirty years, mm-hmm. and the last eight years, I've gotten soft. Right? See these? Mm. See these? You see these? You can't see it. You're on the podcast. <laughs> no, watch no. the video. <laughs> these hands are soft. Um, in fact, my brother was just out here, and we were we were putting in uh, 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 what is it? Vinyl plank flooring. Okay. Not even wood. And I was putting it on uh, the steps. Laminate in. stuff. But ten minutes in, I had blisters, and my brother would not let that down. Laughing. <laughs> he's like, he's like, dude. Can you do any work anymore? I was like, God, yes, I can. So yeah, yeah. Hey, what well, you're teaching stuff, and I, I think that's that's definitely worth it. You know, I've yeah, I've learned a lot from your podcast so far. I'll say that much. Yeah, and that's not going to change with with even these electrician lives. Is again, we this was a first in first one, and I didn't have a, I didn't have a guest. Mm. Uh, the ones going forward have have call in guests about products and you know different type of things, but. Uh, sometimes I just want to talk different topics, and if people want to chime in, they chime in. If they don't, they don't. That's fine. Uh, not everything is about code, although it kills me to say that. <laughs> it kills me. To yeah, say that. there's a lot more in the in the trades, you know, to talk oh. about than just what's the code. That's for sure. Yeah, it's a lot, so is it, a lot is of technique. It, yeah, definitely. Now, in your first year. What what exactly are they going over? Are you, are you just learning ACDC basic theory stuff? Or are you actually out doing? Or do you go apprenticeship so I'm, at the evening I'm and work all for company? I'm on the job. I'm non-union, uh, residential. Okay. Doing uh, new construction mostly. Okay. Did you happen to listen to my podcast that talked about uh, helpers? Um, I I believe I did. I think yes. I did listen to that when you talked about how you walk your helpers through the job yeah. site and everything. Yep, yep, all through the site because again, I'm a big believer that I, I like some of, definitely some of the stuff you said in that. I wish we did it. Yeah, I mean, well, the good news is when you are at the point where you're controlling the jobs, you know, at the point, it's all about people starting to do it, and you if you work for people or something that don't do that. Um, when you're in a position where you can do it, you should always take, even if you're just doing a piece of it, always take an opportunity to teach somebody something. Mm. Uh, Never be, never be too good to learn something. I learn something new every day, whether I'm teaching code uh, or uh, there's something I learn new from somebody every day. And and that's what I still love about this industry. So yeah, that's yeah. Same. That's why I love it. It's because I'm trying to learn something new every day, you know, interested in it and uh all the apprentices i work with are the same way so yeah we we always try to teach each other that's awesome that is awesome so it's a full four it's a full four-year apprenticeship or five-year apprenticeship uh i think it'll end up being five because if i go to school next fall that the schooling is four years with the iec okay if you know i guess technically you only have to go two but Okay, IC's good outfit, so you'll get you'll get a lot of a lot of good learning there. A lot yeah, of, I've heard good things. Yeah, the guy the guy that's doing some of their training material now is is Ryan Jackson's. Ryan Jackson's a sharp guy too, so okay. he, 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 you get you'll get some really good education stuff out of him too. So, um, really, really good, Ryan very Jackson. knowledgeable. 
very knowledgeable. Yeah. So what do you think about, well, has you had any encounters with the uh, inspectors yet? Not yet. Uh, usually we're off the job site by the time the inspector's there. Oh, really? <laughs> and if we're not, if we're not off the job site, we're, we're rushing to get done. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things when I was a head of inspections back in Virginia, before I went to NEMA, um, mm. is when we do inspections, we, we expected the electrician to be there. So okay. we wanted to make sure they're there so they could answer any questions that we might have. They wanted to be there cause they wanted to make sure that if we had questions that they could answer it. Um, and then I spent most of my time. If, if I, usually they cringed when I came out cause usually my guys would all go out. But when I'd go out, they were like, Oh God, okay. Abernathy is <laughs> going to try to pick us apart. Like that was my daily mission or something. Um, yeah. And it wasn't that way. It was really just trying to, you know, if I saw something that I could teach them, it became a teaching moment. And hopefully they got something out of that. Uh, but we required them to be there. So they had to be there I, for their inspections. I'd love to be on the job site when uh, when an inspector's there and, you know, learn from them too. I wish we had the opportunity to do that, honestly. Yeah. So most people have a problem with inspectors is that, they, there's a video, there's a podcast I did called the God complex. Yeah. And some of them will, you know, the only problem that we've ever had with inspectors is that they make up stuff. Right. I mean, I feel like I've been, some of the roughs I've done, we've been failed for questionable things, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So anyway, Oh, what well, we got, we got, uh, yeah. We got another one on the line. Failed for questionable things, you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, so oh, let's see what I'm getting. Some, oh, oh, getting we, got, we, got, uh, <laughs> we got another one on the line. Hey. So, hey, Paul, how you doing? All right, how are you? Yeah, definitely. So, so let's see here. Where am I getting that feedback from? Hey. Can you hear me? Hey, I can hear you. All right. How are you? I got all kinds of I got all kinds of feedback going on in my, my podcast. So let's see here. Where am I getting that feedback from? Awesome. So this is why this is probably why I don't do one. All right, Ed, hold it for a second and I'll let you call back in a minute. I got all kinds of feedback going on in my, my podcast. All right. We there? That was awesome. So uh, Edgar wants to connect with me. So let's see here. Let's so if you're listening, that was awesome. If you're there, uh, Edgar, feel free to call back in. Alex, if you're listening, I'm sorry, I probably cut you off because I have all this, I didn't anticipate all of the the way this would do, but Edgar, if you're there, feel free to, to, to call me back in, and we'll get you on the, on there. I think uh, we, we want to make sure, there you go, we want to make sure that we, there we go. Edgar, you there? Edgar, you there? Feel free to, to come back in. Oh, we'll get... I see here. So let me, uh, we want to make sure, there you go. We want to oh, make sure. Edgar, I think I get it. We got feedback from your, from your end, so. Yeah. 
Yeah, here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. We got the feed coming back from that end, so I've got to figure out. This is cool. I got to figure out how to block that. I think I get it. We got feedback from your from your end, so. Yeah. Yeah. Hang on a second. I'm listening to it. I was listening to your broadcast. Oh, that's you what me? it is. You've got it playing in the background. Oh, that's what it is. You've got it playing in the background. I got it. I had it. I was That's, listening to you. There you go. I now. I think I'm. I'm back now. Maybe. Good deal. You hear me? I hear you, but Sweet. I'll see you. Sweet. I had Alex on the line. Alex, I apologize. I, I, I probably hit the wrong button and cut you off. So. <laughs> I'm uh, working again, on my back. Now again, like I said, I think I told the people in two weeks I have a different, a different software <laughs> that I'm going to use. Right. Right. So. I'm making it up as I went this first one. So, Edgar, do you had any, did you have anything to chime in on those other topics? No, you were talking about tools. I think yeah. um, trusted brands. I'm trying to see what's going on here. Can you see me? I don't see you. Oh, I've got the video turned off. You do. You want to turn it off? Yeah, I'm just doing audio. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I see. Save on the bandwidth. I got about seven things running here. So I was just. Okay. I was just doing audio. I was listening to. I, I don't know. You were talking about politics on the job site, maybe? Yeah. Or? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, What's you know. Problem? You know, I have problems with that myself. A lot of these. Uh, everybody wants to be an electrician, you know. And the, I work for a company that you don't have to have a license, but they say, uh, be able to get a license. Well, they never make them get a license. I've been to places that require you to get a license, and then after a year, you should have a license. Well, these they're not making these people go through the courses. Does that make sense? Yeah. And they just yeah. they just call them, they just call them electricians, but they're never you know they're not electricians. I work at a I work at a port authority, and uh, I work on ship to shore cranes and cranes that unload the ships and, and unload the sh trucks and things that come into the port and. Uh, and so it's, we're not really electricians, you know, we're only, we're really crane technicians, but we used to do everything there. When we, when I first started, we were, we did all the facilities and the cranes and everything. And so we did a lot more pipe bending and, uh, you know, installing transformers and installing little, uh, job site, uh, trailers and things like that to contractors use mm -hmm. those kind of but nowadays they, they divided us up, so we don't get much of that anymore. And uh, and they want everybody to be winners. They they took away all our seniority. It doesn't matter if you have a license or not. Everybody's the same. Right. <laughs> I would say so. These people know absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing, and it scares you because when you're an electrician, you got to trust who you're working with. Sure. They're not going to send you know short something out and send power on a wire that you're working on, you know. Yeah. Know what I'm saying so. Oh yeah, no oh, yeah. Now, and, now, in 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 that vein, that make that would make for a great show in talking about skilled labor training and that type of thing. However, the pol the, the electricians in politics is actually the discussion on whether or not you talk about whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or get into a political debate on a job site. Oh. And so, although 
great segue into the politics because every job has another type of politics. And it's like you described it. Johnny's trying to shuffle its position. He wants to do this, this. And then there's the politics of, are you moving up? Some people have skills and some don't, but they're still going higher up than me and all this kind of stuff. So that's a different type of politics. And I've never played those politics very well. Probably why I... It's probably why I'm ahead of the codes and standards for a large company and I'll never be VP, okay? I'll never be anybody other than, <laughs> than just the code guy, right? Because oh. I don't play politics that way. But what is your thought on politics in general on a job site or a work site? Discussions about things that are in the news, pol- politics, Republican versus Democrat. Is that a place for that on a job site or just not? No, 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 I don't No, Nothing like that. That's, that's when I'm working, that's all I think about is what I'm doing. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not there to make friends or, you know, talk about social stuff, you know, maybe that's my problem with, with getting along with people sometimes, you know, they, if they don't know what they're doing, they want to be your friend, right? They want to hang with you. And they don't really, they're not really contributing and everything. But when the job's done, oh, they're in this group. You know what I mean? They want to be everybody's friend so they can get these groups of people and know what know what they're doing so they can be included in getting that job done. And they, and they say, oh, you did a good job. Okay, great. You know, who was that? Okay, you know, all these people that are in it. Anyway. Uh, do, we, do we call that, do we call that the getting in the right click? <laughs> you know? Oh. I, it, I, I know that, that, again, there's, you know, if we're moving, you know, at this point we can move towards the, that political thing about political correctness, as you said, interesting, originally on the job. Um, I have never been that great with that, being politically correct, because um, I think too many people get their butt hurt over anything somebody says today. It used to be. 20 years ago, I could say anything jokingly, and it would be a joke. Now, if you say something, it's, it's no longer a joke anymore. Somebody feels offended or something like that. I remember telling one of the girls that I work for, uh, we were somewhere and I opened the door and I said, I said, here you go, hun. Just here you go, hun. And she looked at me and she says, I'm not your hun. I went, whoa. And, and acted like that offended her. So I was like, okay, well, I meant it as a term of endearment. Here I'm, you know, I'm, you know, my generation, we would have, we didn't have a problem with saying that hun or no problem hun or, or whatever but that offended her i'm not i'm not your hun i'm like okay all right so i know you didn't mean anything by it it no. makes you know, you're in trouble yeah and and and, <laughs> and and i i think there was one other time that i said something and oh i think i even said something they, they were having a, two girls were having a discussion and and i said something it wasn't I can't remember exactly. I said, I said something like, I was like, why you let that, why does that stuff bother y'all? And they looked at me and they went, because it's, it's, uh, it's offensive. And the whole topic wasn't offensive at all. It wasn't, it was just uh, some benign topic they were having where somebody had come in and done something and they got offended by it. And I, and I was there and I saw it and I was like, that offended you. But because I've said that to them, I have then offended them. All right. So they didn't. They they wouldn't talk to me the rest of the day. So 
Is that other gentleman on the line? No, I think Alex is. Oh, I think Alex. I cut. I think I cut him off. <laughs> and I, I, I have to figure out how to get multiple. Oh, you know what? It probably would have worked <laughs> if I if you ha, if I hadn't had the, uh, if the the speaker wasn't yours on the back. I think I was getting that so much feedback from the listening in the background. Oh, so maybe. could. So I, all I was getting was the echo, and I think he just cut off. Um, Alex, you're oh. still listening. If you still got more to say, feel free to call back in. I will pipe you back in if you want. If you got anything <laughs> else you want to say about job site? You got any trusted tools? Myself? Yeah, any, uh, br- any brands that you just feel are your... Well... You know, I like, I, I like Klein. I like... You know, I always, I would just prefer to them. It's like using a crescent rancher. I, I climb, you know, when I call for my clients, those are my pliers and, mm-hmm. and everything. You know. um, and also a, a tick tracer a lot of times. Depends on what I'm doing mm-hmm. and uh, how, what depth I need to check on something. If I'm just wiring up a light or something, I use a tick tracer to see if I have any power there mm-hmm. or. Oh, you know, working on a lot of stuff live a lot of times. And uh, now, may I ask you a question? Yeah. Why are you working on it live? Well, it's just the nature of the business. Uh, working with these cranes that we're working on, mm-hmm. they do. They have a policy. It, this place is a. It's Paul. I tell you. You know, they 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 put out what they they put out in the handbook what the requirements are. Yeah. But nobody enforces it, and they don't expect you to do lockout and tag out. They don't expect you to do things. Now, if I can turn a breaker off to turn the power to, that's fine. But a, a lot of times, it's it's nothing but, you know, it's it's not even two seventy seven would be the most uh, or two forty or something. Would be the most. Uh, I mean, well, I had twelve. 12470 going to the crane and I got 4160 going to some other cranes but we don't mess with that live of course but it's it's uh well I like to tell people it only takes a tenth of an amp to kill you so 277 is more than enough right volts wise so uh, amps are what get you so um you know the problem is is if you have if if we have a culture of owners or companies that don't want to put things in a safe condition, then typically you're required to have what's called a live work permit. And a live work permit basically is a document, and and this is really one of those things in OSHA and NFPA 70E, is where it's a document that you actually take to the owner. Now, again, this is easy to say, and, and all of us that teach safety and all that say this, but it's somebody like you that ends up having to have the document and you gotta walk to your owner and go, hey, I'm not working on this unless you sign this saying that you're responsible for this live work. And if you want to keep your job, they're probably not going to sign that piece of paper, right? Right, exactly. You got to choose then whether or not you want to do it or not. So uh, do they provide you with PPE, personal protective equipment, gloves, or or they just kind of just expect you to do it? They don't really. They do. They do. Now, I don't. Uh, it's 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 are they you know, listening 
<laughs> you know, they, they don't think so. I don't think they do. Well, unless they're trying to do codes, you know. Usually, I do code stuff. So I don't like working on live stuff. I've changed a few panels out in homes just for friends that that I didn't have a. Uh, I didn't get a permit for it. I didn't pull a meter, and I just did it live. You know, I spliced beep, it. Beep 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 beep. <laughs> Disclaimer. Disclaimer <laughs> notice. All across the screen. Disclaimer. Paul Abernathy does not endorse live work and permits changing. There you go. All right. My disclaimer's over with. I, I don't charge them anything. You know, <laughs> I just I like helping people, you know, sure. and I don't. My whole deal with you is when I found you is for the last four years, I've been trying to get my take my master's test. Uh-huh. I've been an electrician for probably 40 years, I guess, in, in the electrical field, I'd say. I started off in, in the Navy, basically, and worked on uh, submarines and uh, worked on stuff on submarines. And then then I got into construction because I didn't uh, – I worked on roller coasters. I've worked on uh, homes. I worked on you know apartment complexes, and I've worked – I've just done all these things over the years. And I got, finally got my journeyman's license. And then for the last, I guess – 15 years I've had my journeyman's license. But, Paul, all this uh, – I, I really need to get my master's because I'd really like to do some stuff for myself. I'm 62 years old, and I'm getting ready to leave this place because this place is just too much for me. You know um, – I want to do something for myself. Yeah, so when I hear people sometimes – this is kind of interesting because when I hear people say – I get a lot of emails, as you can imagine, a lot of people that contact me. And 60s, 58s, 60s, and they go, uh, it, can I do electrical work at that age? And Because it, it can be a hard job, right? Yep. Um, I'm and a I good tell shape. people, you know, there is so many other avenues. For example, right now, if I had to tell a young electrician who is, or, or old electrician that's going from a journeyman to a master, and, and I would tell them what part of the, the industry would they focus on is service work. There is so much service-related work out there, panel changes, uh, service calls, being reliable. Even me here, my company, I'm, obviously, I'm, I'm, my focus is code, okay? I have the Code Academy and the things that I do, but I have the electrical contracting business as well, and I'll be honest with you, I'm turning away calls every day. I just don't have the time, and I'm, you know... And I had right. people that came and worked for me some because I was trying to get them experience so they could get their hours in. Um, but service work, that type of, is that the kind of stuff you're thinking of doing or you want to go full, full in contract? I don't want a big, I don't want to do any big commercial jobs or anything like that. I, I want to do, you know, just probably service work like you're talking about okay. stuff around yeah. residential. And uh, I, there's things I don't like to do. <laughs> right. You know, I, I don't like hanging ceiling fans and light fixtures too much, you know. But and and a lot of people are like they want me to install their cameras for them and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know. So you know, and that's and that entails getting up there in the attic and fishing wire through there or whatnot, you know. They may want to uh, this, uh, you know. A lot of a lot of what I know is that people want a different panel, 
You know, they want to go to a 200 amp panel. They got a 125 amp panel or something, you know, and they want to go to two, 200 amps. You know, I tell them, I said, well, you know, I can easily upgrade that to 200 amps, but you're going to have to get the power company to, you know, run new service to your meter because it's not going to handle 200 amps, you know. Well, so I don't, they just want to do that. You know, and the thing about that, though, is is it, it it might handle 200 amps. Utility, National Electrical Safety Code, they do things a little different than we do. Right. So from the service point down to the point of attachment, they might not do anything different at all, believe it or not. They might not even increase those conductor sizes. But, of course, the National Electrical Code, we're bound to from the point of attachment on the side of the building or pad mounted transformer, pad mount location over to a meter, Many cases, we're responsible for that. So anywhere that's on the load side of the uh, service point, we're responsible under the National Electrical Code. So our wires have to be larger going out. Again, if you're running a you know, 4 out aluminum, 2 out copper for 200 amp, you're running that out and up. That's our size. Believe it or not, the size that they drop down sometimes is, is a third of our size. And you call the utility and say, I'm going to do an upgrade here from a 125 to a 200 and they'll literally go, okay, go for it. And they won't change the drop conductors at all. You know? Okay. One, because they're, they're also, you have to remember that's free air. So if they're installed in the air, the impasses are a little different when it comes to free air. Plus they use what's called historical data. So they actually know what you pull uh, and generally, so they kind of know whether or not they need to change those conductors and they might look at it and say it's fine. But as an electrician, I'm simply doing the service change and then I'm going to say, we'll contact the utility. If they need to drop you another line, you know what? They'll drop you another line if they needed to do that. But all I would do is run all my wires all the way up to the point of attachment, weatherhead, whatever, if I'm overhead, and I'm done. So there's good money in that, you know? I've done, you know, underground where you run it over to the pedestal. And that's mm-hmm. really where I got that from because they wanted to make sure I had the right size conductor in there. So mm-hmm. that's where I got that from. Okay. That was that was years ago. That was years ago. That was before they required conduit in the ground. <laughs> you okay. know, they only had it, conduit ran in the ground and it went about a, a foot or so off a 90. And then it was buried on the ground. We still can do that. Yeah, I thought it had to be in a conduit, two-inch conduit. No, we have USE-2 direct burial cable. You know, as long as we bury the depth 300.5 of the NEC, we have that little table, and we do the depth of cover and all that kind of stuff. We still can use, if you look at that table, you'll still see that it says direct burial cable. And USE-2 is classified as a cable, even though we all know it's a conductor. Uh, They still classify it. Interesting enough, in the National Electrical Code, all of the wiring types that are in 310 are conductors. Everything that's outside of 310 are technically considered cables, even though that's a little wonky in the code. So USC-2, which is under Article 338, is a wire. The USC-2 is a wire, but it's treated as a cable. You know, crazy enough. So we also, as a manufacturer, we make products called URD, Underground Residential Distribution Cable. Basically, just USC-2 already pre-twisted up already, you know, already plexed, and that goes straight into the ground. You can direct bury it. Really? Yeah. Last years ago, again, I worked for a contract. I worked for a guy, and we had a home to do, and that's what was that's what we were doing, changing the service 
underground service and we were we were talking about putting it in conduit and i thought i i haven't i don't haven't used the code in a, in a long time what's wrong we got to get you back we got to get you back in the code i know i know so go watch I, all of my videos on youtube.com forward slash master the nec uh i used the code i mean yeah. i I use, I use the code and what i do as much as like you know, I, I'll look it up or whatnot, but it's usually a lot of re replacement stuff. like what I'm doing now, it's not mm -hmm. it's new installation stuff, mm -hmm. but, um, there's some, uh, I don't know the code. I want to know the code. I want to be, I want to keep going. Once I get my master's, I hopefully I'll get this and I'll get the master's license. And then I want to keep going and get your certification for code inspector. Or is it, or is it master of the NEC or something? Uh, no, the CMECP. Yeah, I'd like to get that. I would like to keep going. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't want to give up here, you know? Yeah, lots of people ask me about the CMECP, and I, and I tell people there's only a select group of people that are in that program or have come, gone through that program. Um, probably about 80% of the people fail that program. Wow. Um, and that's not, that's not a... I don't know. Let me look around. That's not a badge of honor. That's the fact that it's usually the time constraint that gets people. So the CMECP oh. program was designed to be, originally it was, it gave you a year. The first year that we had that program, it was one, you had one year to finish our program. Um, the next year I, we met with my board of directors and we actually dropped that down to six months. So you have six months to go to our entire program. The entire program is, it means that in order for you to be successful in it, and it's a big achievement. We have individuals that have done it. Um, but in order to go through it, you're, you'd have to dedicate at least probably three days a week, at least two hours of study every night uh, for six-month period in order to get through it all. And that's the curriculum part. And then, of course, there's the 100-question proctored exam. Uh which is open code, open book. By that time, you ought to, it ought to be pretty darn easy to pass that test. It should be. <laughs> yeah, because you spent the time in the material. Uh, and then, of course, the, the last stage of that is the is the one-on-five interview uh, where five industry peers that have been selected uh, will ask a specific question to the candidate. And the candidate has to answer the question to meet that individual that asked the question answer. They don't. They don't have to answer all. Get all of them right. They got to get three out of five right. But they don't have. They just have to answer the question. So I am not on that committee, but I sit as an arbitrator because what I don't want to do is have a general question. And it's going to be a general question. It's not going to be overly complicated. We're not going to ask you a physics question. You know, it's it's generally a code related question. And if you answer it, and then the the uh, the, the person on the candidate review board doesn't agree with your answer, but you actually answered it, then we we will I can override that that review board member. Uh because I'm like, come on, you're you're just being a little difficult. And and I'll be honest with you, the the guys <laughs> that we have on that board are top notch and they're great guys and they want to see people succeed. So the reason that most people have trouble with that program is getting through the course content. It's a lot of content. So it's kind of like you have to be really dedicated to want to get it. So I never created that program to just churn out CMECPs. 
Nope. I would have if I only get one a year, I'm happy with it. What do you do when you have that? Is that just a designation that you could just say, okay, I'm I'm I've done this? Or is it something you use in the do you become an inspector out there, like working for a, a municipality or something? Or yeah, so like- CM, the CMECP does is is kind of carries absolutely zero weight when it comes to uh, it's a certification. It's not a right. licensing. So there's a difference between licensing, certification, uh, and things like that. It's, it's totally different. So inspectors, for example. Obviously, an inspector needs to know the code to be able to do their job correctly. Last thing we want, that's kind of one of our topics we had today, was the last thing we want is an inspector who's making up crap as they go. That's (laughs) not going to work. So they need to know code because their primary function is to inspect per code, right? So CMECP programs, most jurisdictions have their own requirements. In other words, you want to be an inspector. If you were one of my inspectors in Virginia... For example, one of the requirements that you had to take a test with uh, Promisor or ICC. Now, the good news about CMECP and all that is when you go through a program like that, you carry that CMECP, one is electrical, you get to market it, use it as marking, you can put it behind your name if you want to use the acronym. Um, you, it is a certification, so you get a certificate of completion for the program. Um, you can put it on job resumes. You can use it to, to for, you know, if, if you're a foreman or somebody that's ahead of a project, the last thing you want to not know is the code and do things wrong because you don't get paid to do it twice. You get paid to do it once. Right. So doing it code compliant is all about that. So that's the title. So it's totally voluntary. But to be honest with you, for example, NFPA offers all different types of certifications they're all voluntary. They're not mandatory, but but people get them because it's it can be utilized. Now, if you go to a job and you have this certificate and completion and it is all verifiable from our corporation, then it might get you a, a leg up in your job. It might move you up to a supervisory position or it might move you that way, but it's not licensing. Your license that you get as a master electrician, that's licensing. Certification is simply an achievement based on knowledge achievement. So how somebody wants to use it is really up to them, but it's not going to give you any licensing over it. So I, I, I would like to be able to know, know the code well enough to be able to complete that. I don't think is, is there any upgrade, uh, continuing education involved in your certification? Yeah, actually on ours, once you become, uh, when you take the, the, the program and you become a CMECP, you have to do uh, every every year you have to do a CEU course. And be honest with you, we've opened that up. We have Kenneth, for example, is a CMECP down in Houston area, and he reached out and said he wanted to do his continuing education requirement to keep your license or to keep your certification with us. He said, "Can I instead of doing it through y'all?" Can I do it through somebody local? And my answer to that was absolutely. This is not a money grab for for me or our company, uh, our corporation. Absolutely not. I'm like, go for it. All you have to do is give me a copy, send us a copy of your certificate, and you're good. Don't have to pay us. So now every two years you have to renew your, your certification, and that is you don't take another course again. 
you you just have to pay the obviously you have to pay the membership fee. Okay. But okay, other what? than that, there's there once you get your because code is code, you do have to do the CEU every year, but again, you don't have to do that through us. You can do that through anybody you want. And and if you're a master like electrician or a journeyman, usually in most states you have to do CEU credits anyway. Well, you have to be a master to have the certification, right? Yes. I thought so. Now we have a we have an apprenticeship program, which is for journeymen's and apprentices that can actually get all the benefits of the course. So that's what's unique about it. So so to be a CMECP, you got six months, and you're a master, right? <laughs> if you go in, and, and, and I've talked about this to our board, um, Jeff on our board, I, I said, look, but if you go in under the apprenticeship program, you get one year. And he goes, wait a minute. And the reason we say one year is because you get one year to go through the course. Once you complete the course, then you have to do the proctored and the, the exam. So that one, and, and so you can get the credits out of the way to help you pass your master's license. But you can't be a full CMECP until you become a master. So if you're a journeyman, <laughs> You could right. take the apprenticeship course. You get one whole year, and you're going to use that course to help you pass your master's. Once you pass your, you have to pass it within the year. You have to you have to use it to get your master's. Then you get to take the exam. You get to do the other stuff. So yeah, you, for do, the last, you do the apprenticeship, you get a year, but you still got to achieve master license before the end of that year. The last four years, I've paid to take the master's test, and I haven't done it yet. I just haven't. I don't want to fail. I don't want to show myself how, how much I don't know. You know, it just scares the heck out of me. Sure. Now, what state are you in? I'm in. I'm in Texas. I'm in Houston. Okay, Houston. Okay. See, so Kenneth is down there. Um, Where are um, you looking? Huh? Are you? You're in Texas too. I saw that in the back, yes. flag in the background. Yes. Are yes. I'm up in McKinney. Up in McKinney, oh, yeah. Texas. Now, I'm from Virginia, but I came out here to work for, for Encore Wire. I used to work for NEMA, National Electrical Manufacturers Association. Yeah. So, so I yeah. came out here to work for Daniel Jones and, and Encore Wire, and, and they graciously allowed me to continue my Electrical Code Academy and all the training that I do. And, and uh, so it's a, you know, they, I guess I should say they turned the other cheek and uh, let me do what I like to do. Uh, as long as I know who comes first and and Encore Wire always comes first. And uh, of course, that stuff's easy for me. I don't have to think about that type of stuff. When they have questions on wire and cable or there's an installation issue, it just off the top of my head. So it's it's not complicated for me. So the code stuff that I do keeps me totally engaged in it, everything. Yeah. But yeah, I'm in McKinney. Just just uh, just about thirty miles north of Dallas. Uh huh. I got you. Northeast of Dallas. My sister lives in Denison, so that's not very far from you. No, right down the road. Right down the road. <laughs> so my advice to you is is don't don't you know the clock doesn't stop ticking. You're sixty two, mm. right? Yeah. Get that master's. Don't you know what I tell people this all the time? Texas doesn't have now the exam in Texas. I help write. Okay, so it's in two parts now. Two parts. You can pass part and, take, and you fail the other, and you can come back and take the other part. Absolutely. 
That's pretty and they cool. Don't have a, and they don't have a limit on it. it. Means that they don't limit you out. You could, if you fail it on a Monday, you go back on a Tuesday. But I you only got a year, right? Huh? You have a year to do it. Once you apply to take the test, you have a year from that point to take the test and pass it. Yeah, and you but, can just you just take it. So don't let that's that's that don't let that stress you. Uh, I can tell you right now, I've had thousands of people pass the exam by just watching my my videos on on YouTube. Um, I know, not to I mention <laughs> we have tons of people that are in our course, our fast tracks course. That be honest with you, just a little inside tip. The Fast Tracks course is actually the same course we use in the CMECP program. Exactly, <laughs> exactly the same course. The only difference is the grades matter in the CMECP program. Grades don't matter in the Fast Track because you're just trying you're just trying to learn the code and learn things to pass the exam. Well, the difference is the same course in the Fast Tracks program. Everything gets graded, and you have to maintain the uh, the average. So that's why it's tough. Also, you can't can't blow the tests when it comes to the fat, you know, the, the CMECP program. Huh. We put a little yeah. more pressure. We put a little more pressure on you in that program. <laughs> oh. But yeah, so but I wouldn't I wouldn't hesitate. Um, I would literally get out there. You know, I'm here. Uh, email me. Uh, reach out. If you have questions on exam, I, you know, people that listen know that I've been available for thousands of people. That if you need help, just yell out to me. If you, I go, think through one of our, if you right. go through one of our courses, great. If you go through our YouTube channels and, you know, want to help, great. Uh, however it can help you succeed, that's what we're here for. You're getting all these different websites and apps. It's getting a little confusing. I got uh, Wix, Wink, Wix or something like that. For the, <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah. And then and then you got... Uh, you know, this, this new uh, Electricians Live thing, now you've got, you're still at the main website is electricianmassofthenec.com or .net or something. Yeah, I got a massive case of bad ADD, right? So, <laughs> That's all right. I, I got, so, so, so for funniness, people that listen, um, so we got Master the NEC. Now, incidentally, if anybody ever asked, I've got about 60 domains, Okay. <laughs> so people wonder, I got 60 domains, all different types of URL names. Um, and so master the NEC is the main page, which is actually electrical code Academy, uh, .com, .net or .org. It doesn't matter, but that's, that's our main, um, everything is there. The electrician live is, is another segment for us to have a podcast like this, to have conversations. I'm going to have special guests on here. Yeah, I know. Be cool. other, other episodes, but the first one we I didn't have anybody lined up because, be honest with you, I was trying to work out the bugs, and I've already found a couple I got to work out. Um, so, God, you hate to do that. People say, "Why well, do the new show?" And then all of a sudden, you got it's all fragmented out. And I'm like, dude, because it's me. Y'all know me. I'm all fragmented. Um, <laughs> but yes, so that is the main one. Electrician Live is where we do that podcast. Nothing's going to change as far as the stuff that we put out education over on Master the NEC. Nothing's going to change on that YouTube channel for that. That's all the same. I'm still going to teach people. Um, That's where but, I need to go, right? Yeah. For the master's test. Yeah. So to 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 get the core core whatever you want to do there, you go to masterthenec.com. If you want to watch the videos, you know then that's just a youtube.com forward slash masterthenec. Uh, but you got to remember they only show like one year of videos. 
I've got like four years of videos on there. So you got to go to the right and click on the archive or whatever so that you can see more than just YouTube just limits you to the last year. Uh, uh. People say, well, you have a topic on this. Do you have a topic? On if there's something to do with the code, I've probably talked about it or I've ranted <laughs> about it or I've ticked off somebody about it. Right. That's right. So don't rely on just what you see on the first page of the YouTube channel. You've got to go to the right. You'll see where it says sorting and sort through and you'll get to see older. It'll be something, I think it says something that says older and older. It'll show you all the podcasts and all the videos that are out there. Now I share all of my podcasts on that platform as well. The big difference is if it's a video, you'll see something on the screen. that looks like an image. If it's a podcast, it's just a black background with the logo on it. Okay. What about the uh, material that would be no, it wouldn't apply anymore. Do you take that off? Uh, no, because believe it or not, I have viewers all over the country and there's some that are still on the 2014 code, some that are still on the 2011 code. I have some individuals that are that are on the 2017 code. So it's not that it's not relevant. It's relevant to that state. Isn't that something? Yeah. So interesting about Ask- adoption. Each state does their own adoption process. I, yeah, in municipalities, small little cities, they are, I got you. You got to, you know. And Texas is unique because Texas, it adopts it at a state level, but it allows the local jurisdictions to lag behind. That puts a poor electrician in a weird position because if I do an installation and I do something wrong, so the issue they just had down in, in Texas where there's, people were electrocuted in a pool, um, if yeah. I do something wrong and the local, and I do it to the local code, but it still lags behind the state. If something happens and the state gets involved, the state's going to step in. And those individuals, uh, as uh, Jerry Daniels and Larry Riker, who are your TDLR guys, um, great guys, by the way, and they will come out there and they'll look at you and, and you can look right at them and say, well, I did it based on the 200, uh, 2000 and in uh, 14 code, and they're going to look at you and go, yeah, but the state of Texas is on 2017 code. And you might have been, you might have pleased that local inspector, but you're still in violation of the state. And it puts the electrician in a weird position because you're trying to appease the jurisdiction, but your state is on a, on a, on a newer cycle. So what do you have to do? You have to do what the the inspector says, right? Well, Here's what I tell people. I said, you know what? I do everything to whatever the state is on. And, and I look at it as I'm installing it and see that if it is any change that took place between the 14, uh, that's why I tell electricians right away. So Texas is going to go into 2020 in probably August or September or something like that. Buy your 2020 code book and keep it because the code book has all the highlights in it that are significant, that are changes, Right. Right. So if exactly. you're doing an installation and you look in your 2020 and you notice that it's grayed out, and let's say you're in a jurisdiction down in Houston or some suburb that's on the 2017 still, get the 2020 the moment that it's ready. And when you're doing an install and you're looking at the code, if you see something in gray, then you know that's a change. And then you only need to go look back at your 2017 then. If it's not gray then you know that it's not a change and you just make sure you're code compliant and you're going to be okay. So I tell people, wire it to the 2020. It's usually going to be better than what the 2017 is or what the 2014 is, but there might have been a change and you might be doing something that's new 
that's not in the 2014 in your jurisdiction, the inspector might have a freaking fit. So you just have to be really aware of your installation. And there's other things you can do. You can get code mods. If you want to do something to the 2020, but your locality is on the 2017, then you can request a code mod, usually from the building official. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not an easy thing because you're trying to appease the local jurisdiction and the state is up here going, I don't care what they're on. We're on the 2020 or we're on the 2017. It doesn't matter that your state or your city is on the 2014. <laughs> if something happens and you get in trouble, we're going to look at the most recent code that's adopted by the state. When they adopt, puts, it puts the inspector, that puts the electrician in a weird position. When they adopt a new code, do they? Is that also affect the uh, master's test? Yeah. So in the state of te- Texas, for example, usually there's a little bit of a, uh, a a lag. So they're going to the 2020 code, and about the same time, the test will change as well. So in the okay. next four or five months, what's happened is. Uh, and I served on that committee to write the last test for 2017. Uh, but interesting story. I couldn't take the test to be a master in Texas because I was in Virginia and other states, but I couldn't in Texas, even though I'm out here now and I'm educating people, they wouldn't allow me to take the test because I helped write it. So they knew that I served as an expert in other states and they asked me to be on the committee and write it. And I didn't have any notion I wanted to get my master's here in Texas. I was like, Pfft. Dude, I'm 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 a code guy. I'm not going to do any more work. Um, any you know, I hate how I said that. No no more work. I'm working, folks, but <laughs> not not with my hands in the dirt, right? As much. So, I and then one day I said to them, I said I want to get my master's. I didn't feel right. I'm in, I'm in Texas and I love taking exams. I'm like, let's do this. And and you know, and then they real quickly they reminded me. They said, well kind of funny since you helped write it don't you think that would be easy and and i'm like and what's your point i'm just <laughs> you know i'm like what's your point you know yeah. yeah it'll be easy but just give me the license so anyway <laughs> i had to petition i had to petition the state in order to get permission to let me sit for the exam wow. and and so they gave me permission they said sure and i went in and obviously um all those questions look real familiar. No, I'm just playing. They didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but so no, I got the license, and uh, then I decided to go on and get the contractor's license again, and and I do a little work here, and then the other. I also, like I said, now and then I will help uh, people uh, do some work in order to get their hours and their experience, so I can document it through the company. Um, but mainly, I do. You say you didn't want to do ceiling fans and stuff like that. You do. I, I still love that stuff. You know, believe it or not, I, I'll. I hate the things together. Huh? I hate putting the damn things together. You know. Oh, that's that's a. Hey, <laughs> you get paid to do that, man. I'm sitting like, here. Uh, every piece I, of bolt I put in, I'm thinking cha-ching. There's a, a there's a craft to being an electrician. It's not just a skill of knowing like the code. You have to know how to do things like bending conduit. Yeah, these people can bend conduit, but. It, to do it efficiently and quickly, it's, it takes a little bit of skill there, you know. And, Absolutely. And uh, that's where the experience comes in. But when you're working with somebody's house, you know, you have to go through and I may, you know, I'm not as good as as I should be. It's about running the con, running cables through the ceiling or trying to go through the over, you know, like a two story house and trying to get a, a wire from one end to another, you know, or they want to 
They want to be able to control. The other night, the other day, I have a friend. It was my wife's ex-husband, actually. He says this light in the garage stopped working. So I went over there to check it out. And they had a light in there. They put a receptacle. Well, anyway, they, they had a light in there, and they wanted to run the light switch. They wanted the switch on the wall that, that ran the outlet to the garage door to run the light. Mm-hmm. So they, they took the ground wire <laughs> and used it as a neutral. Mm-hmm. Disclaimer. So, <laughs> so, hold on. So well, anyway, I, let me see if I can I, put my. I got, I got my. Hold on, let me see if I've got my disclaimer buttons work. <laughs> anyway, I fixed it and I put a, a receptacle. I mean, a you know a little receptacle with a chain pull light switch, so you could uh, turn it off like that. But lo and behold, if you turn the switch off and turn it on, you know, the the garage light comes on. You know, the I guess the one on the door opener. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like having a light switch. You can just turn right. it off. <laughs> so anyway. Well, you know what? I think that most electricians fear doing work where they're going to have to fish wire up a wall in a ceiling. You know, and early on in, in my career, I loved doing that stuff because I could get creative. Um, but I think sometimes you have to look at a, a lot of times we think that it's some that we got to do magic instead of being an electrician. They want us to be a magician. So. You know, we have to cut holes in the sheetrock sometimes. Absolutely. And I tell that <laughs> to customers. And I usually tell customers, sadly, I tell customers, I go, I'm going to have to cut a hole. I'm going to have to cut an opening in your wall. Oh, and let me remind you, I'm not a sheetrocker. Yeah. I don't do sheetrock. Well, let's say I could do it, but I don't do it well. I could patch the hole, but I, you'll have to get somebody in here to paint this thing and retexture the wall and all that. Yeah, and in Texas, these people here that build houses in Texas love to put this crap on the wall that's like a textured, knockdown, orange peel finish. In Virginia, our walls are just painted. So I could cut that thing, cut me a a patch, mud that out, a couple layers of mud, paint over that, good to go. Up here, it's an you got to do all kinds of crazy stuff to fix these walls. (laughs) <laughs> so that's why I tell them I am not a sheetrocker. I'm not yeah. a painter. Number one thing I hate to do is paint. I hate painting. I hate I hate painting. I hate caulking. I hate painting. And then your ceiling joists, you better hope they're running in the right direction because you're not going to fish that cable through those holes that somebody drilled through it already to run the wire to the ceiling fan. Yeah. Because no. And then they got those remote deals. That's another thing. They got those remote deals so you can turn the light off and on and the fan will run off the switch or whatever. Well, those things, they don't last. Every one I've used, every one I've done, you put it in there and it maybe within a year, the thing burns up. I don't know if it's the heat or what. I don't know. I've got all of my, I've got, I got seven ceiling fans in my house and every one of them has a wireless remote. It does. And they've been here, been here since I came here in 2014. And obviously when I moved in, I, got rid of all the luminaires in here and all the see I put all new, you know, yeah. changed all, you know, got did my little electrical anal thing, I fixed all this stuff that I didn't like and, and well, put my, my AFCIs in cause they didn't have them in. And uh, where are you buying uh, them at? Electrical at, at the, at the supplies. Yeah. No, mo be honest with you. Oh, I got okay, people are going to cringe here. I do buy most of my lighting and fans and all that at, at Lowe's or home Depot. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. <laughs> even the remote, even the yep. wireless yep. stuff. Yep. Yep. And and uh, and they and they work and they they've worked. And now now that you say that, they'll go crap out on me. But they, I've not had a problem with a single one of them. Now I've installed new. Uh, uh, Plenty of them through the years, especially you now some of them are huge and you can barely get them under the cap. Um, exactly. I've always had good, I've always get good uh, results with them. I've never had really that them go that bad, to be honest with you. But um, here's the thing. Here's what I tell people as an electrician. I will put it in. I am not the, 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 the person that's tell you how long they're going to last. I, I'm more than happy to put it in for you. You're gonna pay me, you pay me, and if it if it goes bad, you're gonna pay me to replace it, or you call somebody else. Um, I I try to you know I do a lot of training early on. I do a lot of electricians and journeymen's in, in the business part of it, where I used to always train and say, you know what, the biggest thing about electricians is always get paid, always get paid up front, get your money. Uh, and don't be afraid to to have your hourly rate and stick by it. You know, I, I've gone to a house where I, all I had to do was go in and set the GF, reset the GFCI. Do I feel bad charging somebody for going in there? And but you know what? No, I, I don't, because I want people to start to think of electricians as if you go to a doctor's office visit, you're going to pay the office visit, right? You're going right. to pay. I think electricians should get the same respect that you would give a doctor, that you would give anybody else in, 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 a, in a high profile profession. Now, the problem is electricians have to start wearing that hat that way. Okay. Um, so I'm a big believer in uniforms. I'm a big believer in patches. I'm a big believer in looking the part. I'm a big believer. And I say that with a day that I didn't shave. Okay, for those that are on the yeah, those those that are on the video that see me all scruffy looking. Um, I mean, you're exactly what I want to be. I wish yeah. I was you. Now, to be honest with you. Yeah. So I mean, live the part. Take uh-huh. pride. Uh, one of these shows I've got coming up in the next couple of weeks is a is a is a female electrician who's going to be on, and you know she's already has to battle this this stereotype that she might feel that she feels. Um, but I said, you know what? Half the battle in this electrical industry is, you know what? You got the guys. That, and look, and I, if anybody out there listening gets offended, I'm I, I'm not going to apologize for it. You start thought I was going to say I apologize, but I'm not. If you're going to a job, you best look the part. Don't wear ripped up jeans. Don't wear dirty. You know, um, if you're going to job site outside and you're going to be working on something and it looks like you're going to get dirty, get you a set of coveralls. Put your coveralls on it. Put your name on the back of it. Put your name here. Put your company's logo. Everywhere you go is a marketing opportunity. I agree. And so yeah. wear yourself and, and take your pride. Like so that so I said, somebody asked me, oh, and and you know, we'll say I'll go to a job and I just reset a GFCI. And I charge if I charge 85 an you know, I, I usually tell people what I charge these days. It's it's 85 an hour for me. And you know, and you know. Do you have a list of that? Huh? And th- do you have a program for how to start your own electrical business? I don't. This shows like like I gives you idea of what to charge people eighty five an hour because or do you charge by the receptacle? Say one hundred twenty five dollars a receptacle or something. Some people do. There's different. There's different types. There's people that do just time and material, uh, which is your hourly rate plus material. 
and you have to step it. So in order to establish what your hourly rate would be, and you know what, should you say that? Because at some point I have on my agenda uh, to do a video series on starting your electrical contracting business. I wish you would. That's important, right, for me right now. You know, I never want. I never. I feel like I never want to charge anybody. I just, you know, I just want to. How do you eat? How do you well, live? I have another job. Okay. But when I'm doing stuff for people, I don't. But they, I said, pay me what you think it's worth. All right. So here's the problem with that. Here's a problem. You have another job. I have a job. We're doing work. The electrician that's doing this full-time or trying to make it is getting slighted. And we're all a big brotherhood here. Now, some people overcharge. Some people are just not worth what they charge. Some people are getting a lot less. That person today, that service call I went this morning, they were like, you only charge 85 for an hour? You know, that type of thing. And I'm like, and I've told that to other people. They're like, when I go out to troubleshoot something for a couple electricians who couldn't solve something, and they're like, come out, and they're like, I would think you would charge a lot and I don't. Now my consulting fees are high, but that's electrical consulting. If it's an expert witness or some kind of death case or whatever, I'm high. I will admit, because if you're going to take my time to be involved in that, you're going to pay my retainer. That's different. The electrical part, I just want to get, you should get paid, but not because you feel like you're doing favor for somebody, but because you're doing a skilled trade and you're worth it. So if you're set your rate, now rates are based on certain criteria, your burden, what your burden is, your taxes, your overheads, your material, all these type of things. You have burdens. You have no burden. So you can adjust your rate based on not having any burden. However, if you're wanting to go into business, the rates that you charge, you should be charging a competitive rate so that you can put away money to lessen your burden to start your own business. So yes, when you go to work for somebody. Overhead. Yeah, you have to have overhead. You have to have a vehicle, a truck, you know, a van. You gotta, I agree. And you still do, right? So you go drive somewhere to do something, even though you got another job, you're focused on fixing something. You're letting your other job pay for what you're doing. No, you need to let that job pay for your time that you spent doing that thing and stop being like, I just want to be the good guy. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, I faced that for years. You know, I give away thousands and thousands of hours of electrical training and my wife will look at me and say, you got another guy that's down south who sells videos and stuff for 1200 bucks a pop. I mean, if you had a neighbor, you got a neighbor, right? What if he needed something, a receptacle put in his garage or something? You would charge him? Absolutely. You would? <laughs> Absolutely. I charge my mama. <laughs> Shoot, man. People know me. Hold on. People know me, man. They know me. I'll charge, you know what? The mighty dollar. I'm, you know. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What Abernathy? What is that? Is that? <laughs> oh, so, my God. So, I mean, now, there's other things, though. In all seriousness, if I had a neighbor, there's also things that we do. We, we, we barter. Yeah, okay. So, you know, all seriousness. You know, so, I have a neighbor, for example, across the street. If they want me to fix something, he's a big bass fisherman. Oh, okay? yeah? And I'm, I like to bass fish, but I suck. But he is really good. He could have been a pro, right? And <laughs> so if I fix something for him, I know that it would cost, he's acquired that skill as a fisherman, right? Right. I, I don't, you know, he might want to give it to me, but I mean, I, I would, 
you know, he would reciprocate to me and take me out and show me some of his skills. You know, he might want to do it for free and that's up to him. But I'm just saying from my perspective, I have to get, I have to get paid as a, as a business. I, I have to get paid for my time. When I work for another company, they're paying for my time to be with them. When I'm working and I could be with my family or do something else, but I'm helping somebody else, I'm going to get paid. Now, since you don't have the burden, you get to, re, you get to adjust your price. But I can guarantee you, once you have the burden of expenses, insurance, and all this, if you're giving it away, you're not going to be in business long. Right. That's another thing. The, the, you have to have a contractor's license. And I don't, what, is, what does that entail? Learn? Well, now in that, Texas, it's yeah. not difficult. So in Texas, once, you're, once you have the master's, uh, then really all you're doing is, is you, Texas, you have to have what's called a master of record, right? So okay. I could be a master for another company. Let me give you an example. You could start an electrical company and you not even be a master electrician. You could hire me to be your master on record and you own the company. But the, you can only, there's limitations to that though, right? For the master, you can only absolutely, have. Like, absolutely not. You own the company. You're the electrical contractor. But the master in charge could be me, for example. I have yeah. a friend who has his own company. Huh? You know, I have a friend who has his own company. He's a friend of ours. Is he a master? Yeah. Okay, he's so got he's a- his own master. So in my company, Abernathy Electrical Services, I am the master, obviously, on record. It's my company. But you'll notice if you ever get a chance, go to TDLR's website and look up licenses. Just start punching in individual names. Just use a common name, Smith, or something like that. Or do zip codes. It'll bring you, it'll show you all the electricians. Click on the electrician and you'll see the company that their master license is associated with. And it won't necessarily be their company. Okay. Uh, in fact, a lot of companies around the country have the person that's the one on record has licenses, has a master in multiple States, but the company, the owner doesn't have an electrician's license at all. Gosh, you know, I, I thought they changed the law on that nope. as far as the master could only do like one or another. It well, has you can to- only do, you can only be the master for one company. Right. So I could be the master for mine and the master for yours. But if I wasn't a master electrician, but I wanted to start an electrical contracting business, all I had to do is have somebody be the master of record for the company. So if the work gets done, guess who's responsible to make sure it's done right? The master, not the owner. So that's a lot of responsibility for whoever the master is. So that's why people have contacted me before, before I, you know, and said, Paul, would you be, I want to start my company. We lost the guy that was our master. Would you be our master? And I'm like, first of all, I don't know you. And I'm real picky about the work that I do. Okay. Yeah. When I run wiring, when I run cables in the walls, I pretend like those walls are made of plexiglass. I expect people to see my work, even though I know they're not going to see it behind the gypsum board. That's how I run my wire. And it does it take a little longer. Not when you get skilled at it. And me and my brother started double A electric many years ago. And we were well known in the in the Virginia area. Um, our work is just I'm, I'm, I took a lot of pride in our work, and my brother still works in Virginia. He still has his electrical contracting business, and you know, and he's probably one of the best electricians I've ever known. Uh, although I tell people many times that we went through the same school, and I was the number one student in the school's history, and he was the number four. 
I just want to remind him of that in case he's listening. You're still number four. I was number one. So just so he knows that. Um, <laughs> but he is my older brother. So, you know, and I love him to death. But he's a, he, he's a, when I call the MacGyver of electrical. I mean, he can make anything work. Now, it's not always code compliant, Todd, if you're listening, but he can make <laughs> anything work, you know. And so, you know, he's kind of so, kind of clever. I've always had a kind of a philosophy for my own type of work, being working with the Navy and all is what, and it's kind of silly, but what I found is that the better it looks, the better it works and less yeah. problems you have with it for some reason or another. Absolutely. You know, if, you, if it looks all ratty and raggedy and everything, it usually you have problems. You're only going to have something come loose and get, get hot and melt off and whatever, you know, it's just, uh, you do it right, right? Do it right the first, the, the, like today. So somebody asked me, I think it was on our Facebook. I don't know if you're on our Facebook page. Um, yeah, but I, I'm not on it all the time. But. Yeah, but somebody asked me, they said, um, could you use regular, no, that splice this morning, they said, could you use regular wire nuts? And and I said, it's not an issue of could you, or it's really an issue, could, can you, or should you? Um, if you use a regular wire nut to make splices in the ground, don't you think that it's a matter of time before that's going to corrode or have a problem? <laughs> if you shoot it with silicone and then you wrap it, yes, it's, it can, is it going to work? Absolutely. But over yeah. time, silicone dries up, things dry up, things crack, water seeps in, things corrode, problems happen. And would it have been much easier just to use the proper connector their first time and be done with it. Um, so if I had to take a regular wire nut and I had to wrap it with rubber tape, I had to wrap it with 3M nylon, uh, vinyl tape, then I had to fill a wire nut with silicone, and then I had to have the wire nut, dude, I can buy the dry cons for a bag of tin at Lowe's or Home Depot, have them in the truck. Anytime I'm doing a splice on the ground, I put those on one and done, I'm gone. <laughs> so why do I want to go through the trouble of this, this, this? Now, I always wrap my Strix burial splices anyway, even though I use dry cons. I still wrap them with tape just to, for mechanical reasons, right. um, but not because of the water reason. And I know that tape's eventually going to come off, but I mean, it's just the thing that I like to do with it. Um, so today's well. example is, you know, Nobody could figure out because electrician wouldn't, or I assume he's an electrician. He wouldn't say where all the splices were. He didn't document it. That's another thing I tell electricians in their planning. Anytime you do underground work for somebody, give them a diagram of the work you did in case you don't come back and somebody else. It's only, it's only common courtesy to the next electrician where oh your splices are at. It doesn't take, you don't have to be a graphic artist to draw up something. You know, but it's just the problem today is... Sometimes electricians between different companies are, are, they're, you know, they, they're afraid to help each other out because they're going to lose business. There's plenty of business out there for everybody. Just try to make things easier for the next guy. And so, you know, I always used to do that. So all of my underground work that I ever did for anybody, I would give a, a, a drawing. I would draw it up. Uh, I have a little bit of graphic talent. Uh, and I would draw it up. And show them where the splices are, where the wires are, where the raceways are, things like that. Um, and early on in my career, I used to use, uh, when we started doing it and I had the uh, cameras, camcorders, VHS and all, I actually would, would when we would finish a rough end, 
I used to, and some of the stuff that I used to do in my company, I used to videotape the rooms so that you see where some of the stuff is. Oh, yeah. And I used to keep the little cassette and I would give it to the homeowner. And I'd say, when I'm done, I'd say, here you go. Here's a here's a little uh, video of the wiring because you can always watch it and pause it and see where something. So if somebody had to come move something, you could see where the wires were because it was a less chance you were going to damage my wire. Now, today, people won't do that. But now we have the phones. It doesn't take you nothing. Um, but this is some of the stuff that I used to do and it takes a little time, but I, look, I've told many people. That's a good point. Just talking about, say moving a light switch or something like that. And you have to know where it comes from the top or the bottom, whether or not you can move it. You know, to say they want to move it down. Mm -hmm. They don't know if the power came in from the bottom or the top. You don't know if you have enough wire to move that thing. So what do you do about a splice in the wall? Or do you have to pull a whole new wire through there? It's all stapled. Do you go and run a new wire all the way back to the, well, splices it. Well, first of all, there shouldn't be any splices in the wall. Exactly. Um, they should be in junction boxes always. Uh, the only time we can splice without a junction box is outside and in the ground, but we have to use a listed connector for that, uh, a, a listed uh, wire binding device or something like that that's listed for that application. Now, the code does allow us to use things like NMB, for example. So at NEMA, we had this big thing with water damage. So... You get water in a building, you need to replace all that wiring because non-metallic sheath cable, NMB, many people refer to as like a Romex, but it's really NMB, non-metallic sheath cable. Romex is a trade name of Southwire. Right. And they purchased that from, uh, from um, shoot, General Cable, who actually purchased it from a company called Rome many years ago, and that's where the Romex came from. So... Um, that type, they do have splicing devices that those can actually be embedded in the walls, uh, but it's an actual device that's made for that application. It's listed for the application. It's not okay. just taking two wires together and just wire nut it and stick it in a wall. So they do make a splice. So we teach people, if you had a flood, you might not have to replace all of the NMB from halfway up the wall up into the ceiling, that you might only have to place it the first couple feet, but you need to check and make sure that water didn't wick up into the paper. Uh, right. If you can cut it back up and you can use these devices and uh, fix it. I didn't know that. So that's allowed in the code. So um, that's beneficial for, for people. But it's not like the old days. <laughs> you just use a switch, put a blank cover over it, and then run the wire from there to the next, wherever you want to switch. Right? Yeah, so you got a bunch of boxes in the wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I it's, sometimes it. that might be sometimes that might be all you can do. I'd much rather... And somebody asked me about adding things like that. I say I'd much rather cut your cut your drywall. Uh, drywall can always be patched. So what would you do? Run a new hook, a cable all the way back to the panel? What was your question? The, the splice. So you want to, you know, you said you had to. You know, they want to move a switch. Yeah. And you, cable's not long enough. It's you know they want to move it a foot, and you don't have enough slack. So. Okay. So if I want to move it and it's not long enough, you only have two choices. You you either can you either take that and and uh, actually make that splice in that existing junction box and add another one. You can't cover that box up. You better put a blank cover on it. Can you so put it? It's in the still going to be there. Attic. Put a junction box up in the attic and make a splice there. Well, if your wires come over the top and you know that it comes over, then you can go to the top where it goes down. Right. And if you can get at the top, you can put in as long as an attic is accessible. Right. Then you can That's get to that junction box. Then heck yeah, yeah, I'd put one in. I'd put one in the attic in a heartbeat. 
That's what I do. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. In a heartbeat. Yeah. But if let's say I don't have, let's say it's in between floors. Right. And I'm in between <laughs> and they want to move it. Then I look what? at them and go, really? I think it looks good where it's at. No, they not. I really want to move it. Okay. Well, <laughs> if you really want to move it, here's, here's your, here's your, here's your choices. And, and know that the, the DIYer, do it yourselfer, will pull that wire out, make a splice and stick it back in the wall. Yeah. Um, that was one touch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and that's what we see a lot. Um, we, houses burned down. Stuff like yep. that. Absolutely. So now, so that's what I, I, I generally do it that way. Most of the time people don't want to move us. I mean, I don't get, I never in my career got a lot of people just wanting to move switches. And if they did, they were opening it up for some reason, like doorway, doorway swing or something's changing. Yeah. Remodels. You know, you have a cabinet put in there and the damn switches in the way you got to move it down or something. You know, that's yeah. what I'm Well, if a cabinet's going there, then what I would tell people, if I'm putting a cabinet, then I would cut the box in the back of the cabinet. It's it's going to be in the back of the cabinet. You put a blank on it. You're going to have yeah. crap in your cabinet. You're never going to see it anyway. But I am not going to cover a box in your wall. That's what I right. That's you know? exactly right. I agree. If they like that. They don't like that. You know what? At the end of the day, the beautiful thing is we can always walk away. That's what I tell electricians also. If There's a lot see... of new things in the code that all those stupid watertight covers for the outside receptacles, you know, they're ugly. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, in use, in use covers. Yeah, you have to have a cover that can, can a cable can go through while you got it plugged in and still be covered. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's just that people don't like that kind of stuff on the front porch and, you know. Well, they also I, don't like yeah, but here's the deal with that. They don't like it, but then they don't like it when I have to come back every couple of weeks to fix something because water gets all in it, and then I have, they have to get my bill. When they got to get my bill, then they'll look at it and go, man, I should have left the cover on it. <laughs> but there's another one. There's some new ones out that are also n- now that are out there that are like, they're like an accordion. I know. So, I use those too. <laughs> you seen them? Yeah, I'm, I'm using one right now. Yep. I use it on my water softener. Yeah, that yes. sucker will pull right out and go right back. Right, I know that's not too bad. It's nope. not too bad. It meets the it meets the requirement, and so we're you know, hey, <laughs> I like those better. The, the the ones that are now, if you're lucky enough to get it during the construction, you can get the ones that are recessed, and and they're not you know they're not so bad. They're they're recessed in the wall and they got the cover on it, uh, but that's. You know, you have to, that's the kind that usually will integrate with the siding or something. And, and you got to, you got to be there right there at the construction point to be able to do it. Okay. I have another question for you. Yeah. It's about grounding. Mm-hmm. And the reason not too long ago, they upgraded their, did a lot of grounding changes. And now they added another, you have to put another rod in for a, a home, another uh, what, eight foot rod in the ground, six foot apart. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Well, so the code required that you have, so prior to a recent change, it was, you, you could have, you had to have, you have one ground rod. If it didn't meet 25 ohms or less, you had to supplement it with a second rod. So that's what it said forever. The problem is people don't own, own the three point fall of potential or the uh, ground resistance meters, which are like 1200 bucks. And <laughs> so easiest thing to do was to, because I couldn't prove it to the inspector, just get the helper to drive a second one. 
Right. It's cheaper. The rod costs you hardly nothing. The five eighth rod and the helper, you know, with their pay and in in the in the six gauge or whatever is running over to it's cheaper. Um so they changed that in a sense that the intent didn't change. What they changed was that they said, now we're going to make you do two up front. And if you prove to me that one's 25 ohms or less, then you can take one away. So essentially you could do one. And if you didn't meet 25, you had to add one. Now they're saying you add two. If you meet 25 ohms, then you can take one away. So that's just, it means the same thing. It's just, they want you to start out with two and be honest with you, whether you had 10,000 ohms, once you get to two of them, it doesn't matter. The 25 ohms is just an allowance for you to drop down to one. So if I had one rod that was 500 ohms, and then I added a second rod that dropped down to 300 ohms, you look up at the inspector and say, I'm done. Because the 25 I, ohms only applied to one ground rod. I think it's important. That's I think that's a very important thing. Is that grounding rod? Because that's where your neutrals ties in, right? No, so... In addition no. to one going to the pedestal or up on the pole, whatever, but... Yeah, well, so the ground rod... The ground rod's really there to serve a, a couple functions. One, the ground rod is there to give a voltage reference. So it helps stabilize voltage, okay? A connection to earth. So all of our connections from a hot to to the ground or even to a hot to an ungrounded neutral conductor because they all go back to the same point. They all go back to the same terminal bus and then it all goes back to the transformer XO. So they're intimate, but it's for reference. Now, the real function, no current travels through the ground rod back to the source. Right. Only when that happens is through lightning and transients. So that if I have a lightning strike, it strikes it. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people think because I have a ground rod on a house that it's going to protect me from a lightning strike. No. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. That is why the 2020 code now requires surge protective devices to be installed on all one family and two family dwellings. Whether you like it or not, they've got to be installed now. That's the lightning surges. And the reason they did that was because there's so many other electronic equipment that are inside of a building. The, the GFCIs and the AFCIs and the electronics and other things that are safety driven. And those surges that come in can really tear them up. So, and the problem with that is, is once they're tore up, a lot of people don't want to go through the cost of replacing them, so they'll put something cheaper in. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna replace that GFCI when I can get a 39 cent receptacle to put back in there, and now you've lost that element of safety, right? So, yeah. surge yeah. protective devices are now required in the 2020 code. They'll be required. I've still uh, installed quite a few of them, but as a bra as a breaker. No, it's actually just a surge protection device. It actually shunts any surges that might come in over to the neutral conductor back over, which is connected to the grounding electric conductor. So if it's a lightning strike and it's a surge that way, it allows it to go down to earth. If it's to get back to the source, become a high power line on a low power line, and you have a surge due to transients, it'll just shunt it back to the panel so it can get back to the source. So it's, so it's, more, of a, it's more of a shunt than anything. It's not really a breaker. Although you can buy the breaker type go into a panel now that have a breaker and it's got this SPD built into it. Huh. And that's a, and that's for the service coming in the top of the breaker or, or below the breaker, whatever feeding. So the you panel? have two different types. You have, you have type, well, actually you have five different type of SPDs, but the ones that we deal with is a type one and type two type one. People refer to as a 
lightning arrester, but now it's just simply type one SPD. Uh, typically that is on the line side. So anywhere from the, the main, the top of the main where the line's coming in, all the way up to the point of attachment. That could be up there where the weatherhead is theoretically, right? Yeah. Uh, the type two surge protective devices are the ones that you see on the load side of a main breaker. So the ones that are on the side of the panel or the ones that are a breaker that plugs into the panel, those are type two SPDs. Okay. So type one is on the line side of the main breaker. Type two is on the load side of the main breaker. I'll be done. Yeah, and they do work. And they do have their own little warranties involved with them. Uh, of those SPDs, some of the best ones that I've ever dealt with is Siemens. Siemens I'll- makes a, 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 and I was going to say nasty SPD because then it sounds like they make a bad one. But then I call it nasty because it is nasty. It'll, it will definitely get... Uh, handle any type of surge that comes in with that bad boy. Surge needs to be two levels of protection anyway. You need to have the surge at the panel and you need to have a surge at the important piece of equipment like it's a TV or computer. You need two levels of protection because it's like a dam. What might get over at the dam, you need to stop at the, the TV or the stereo or whatever. So I really believe in two points of protection. Put it at the ha- put it at the panel and then also make sure you have one at your expensive piece of electronic equipment is it resettable or is you have to replace it some of them uh actually are resettable and some huh. of them when they blow they're gone and you know it, it'll have an indicator on it yeah are they expensive oh siemens is you know i think they have three different levels oh another one that makes one is eaton makes one is surge pros um you know they're gonna they're gonna range from anywhere from from eighty five dollars up to one hundred and fifty dollars, and then there's some real expensive ones that are two and three and four hundred dollars. Now, you know, the one thing about those is most of them have a warranty on them, so if it stops it, they'll replace it. So it would definitely take an electrician to fix. Yeah, you don't fix the SPDs. Once if they're, if they're gone, you just replace it. So yeah, electrician would be the one to come and replace replace that. Well, that would kill have to go in, they have house. to go in the panel for that. You would have no power at the house, right? When it trips, if it no, the, no, the, S, the SPD is 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 located on the load. If you got a Type Two, it's located on the load side. So oh, okay. it'll right. take the it'll take the oh, surge. I got and you. It's being fed by by breakers. Got you. It'll just blow that out. It just it did its job. So if you just let it sit there, then your house is un your house is unprotected. So you have to have some kind of outside indicator, a light of some kind, or most of those surge protective devices has an indicator built into them. But you got a cover over the panel, right? So how's uh-huh. that? <laughs> you got a break. You have a cover covering all your breakers. You got this device inside there, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it's it's not a breaker, right? Now, so thinking- it it they have the kind that will replace a breaker. Yeah, and it has indicator lights on it, and it just okay. simply plugs in. And usually, that's from the manufacturer that makes the panel. So, for example, Cutler Hammer, they might have one. Uh, Square D, they have one that plugs in, and you okay. actually has the lights just like a, an AFCI or something. The lights are on the front of it. Okay, got you. And now they have the ones that are standalone, and those will actually mount to the side of a panel, or if you have a flush panel uh, or it's recessed. You cut a hole right beside it, and it go into the side of the panel, and this mounts usually below it because usually on the side of the panel you got the studs, right? So 
you'll put it underneath it and it'll and you'll use a piece of flex and you go up into the bottom of the panel to hit the breakers and it's mounted and they sell the recess kits that actually and they'll have a plate on it and you'll have uh-huh. two lights on it and you, they'll all be green when everything's good when you see uh-huh. red that's bad <laughs> oh, and then you just and then you just replace it if necessary but like I said, I have surge protect. I, I I probably should. I, you know, it's been a while since I've done any videos when it comes to working in a panel. A couple of years ago, I did a inspect your panel video. Right. I used to do a lot for the home inspection industry, teaching them things about code and inspections. Um, and I really hadn't got much into the guy that does the video. Uh, his name is Dustin Stelzer, who does Electrician U. It's a great guy. It's really doing great things. He's uh. Uh, cusses like a sailor, but that's, Hey, that's all, that's all good. You know, that's his thing. Most electricians have potty mouths anyway. So, but he, he does that kind of stuff. He does a lot of the hands-on videos. Uh, and, and I just, I'm a code guy. I just, I don't know. Somebody wanted me to do one of those videos. I think I did a video of me replacing a switch in a, in a receptacle with USBs built into it. I did that video just for the DIYers out there. Uh, but it's not my thing. Even today, somebody asked me, did I video me fixing the splices in that landscape lighting? And I'm like, I have a hard time doing that when the customer's breathing over my neck because if I'm videotaping and narrating it, they're thinking, am I paying you for this or am I paying you to do a video? You got a GoPro? <laughs> no, I don't have GoPros, no. I put a little GoPro out in front of me and have it narrate me. Go over here. Yeah. But, but yeah, no. So, yeah, so that's, you know, that's surge protective devices. So that's a big deal too. Once that code changes, especially in Texas, Um, if you do a well done flyer and you make visits, you know, nobody wants to lose their equipment and stuff. And, you know, and so you'll get a lot of storms and things like that. Now it's not only that, but it's the transient things. And a lot of times some of the things can be coming from the inside of the dwelling that can be contributing to the switching of loads and things like that, that can add transients to the system. So it really protects it both ways. So it's a good marketing thing if, you know, the code's going to require it. And if you ever do a service change, the code requires you to retroactively add it. So um, you'd have to, you'd have to add it. Yeah. Well, that's in 2020, right? (laughs) That's that's right. That's in 2020. And we're and we're and, and like I said, the Texas will adopt that here in the next six or seven months, and that'll be the law of the land I gotta, on, a, I gotta, on a state level, not on your local jurisdiction level. Who knows what it'll be? I my wife's ex husband has two air conditioning units outside. He only had one disconnect, and I was like, "Wait a minute, you got to have a disconnect for both of these." But he said they're all tied in together. I don't think that's you have to have one for each, right? So. When you say disconnect, are you sure he doesn't have a four-circuit breaker panel? Uh, you know, I'm talking about the disconnect outside on the brick wall, the little... Yeah, that goes, it goes to the, the, the condensing unit. Yeah, so the guy can... So the technician yeah. can secure power to it, right? Yeah, so, so chances are... If he, but if it's, I'm sorry. But if it's within six feet of the thing, you still have to have it? Yeah, well, you gotta have it. You have to have the disconnect. Four forty requires you to have that disconnect anyway. Even if it's right next to the panel. 
No, if the panel's out there, then you yep. can see the breakers, and that can serve as your disconnect. But most that's of the time, I- the panel's inside, and you run right. it across, and it goes out, and it has a disconnect outside, and you have to have a disconnect for those units right. for Article 440. Uh, if the panel's out there, and you're dropping out of the panel, and you're feeding them, then your breakers are already right there. It comes out of the wall, but the panel's right there. So, uh, you know, it's right. got a piece of a seal tight or something. Well, if the, the panel comes, if the panel's right there and it comes out, um, and then you know, then so you said though it's two units, so right. it's only it's got seal one seal tight. tight coming out. No, it's got two different seal tights, but one of them has the disconnect, and they added another. I don't know why they did it that way. He said that went to both of them. I don't see how that's possible because no, because each one, each one are going to pull their own their own yeah. amount of load, right? I know that's right. So that's right. He, now he could have added a disconnect to one, and the other ones by the is is so you said the panels exterior as well, right there beside it, right next to it. Yeah. Okay, so he could be one of them is using the breaker in the panel, and one of them is just using the disconnect. And why he would do that, I don't know, but. I don't either. I don't know. Typically, when I see something like that, they're not going to put the disconnect at all. If the if the panel's out there, then the breakers in that panel are going to going to serve as the disconnect to the units. Do you think it'd be better to go ahead and put one of those disconnects there? Anyway? I thought I think it would be and make it easier for them just to. Well, I mean, it can't be people. any easier than flipping off the breakers. Well, it might be confusing to some people. Some like some service guy. I don't know. No, if it's a service guy, it better not be confusing. Otherwise, he don't need to be a service guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he ought to be able to look at it and tell what I've got going on. He ought to look at the labeling of the panel, provided it's labeled, of course. I'm not um, talking about a service guy. I'm talking about an air conditioning guy. Oh, well, they don't know nothing anyway. No, I'm that's just playing. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean that, all my air conditioning folks. Um, yeah, that's another question about working inside those, those compressors. To work, do electrical work inside the unit, you got to have be a licensed electrician, uh, air conditioning guy. Um, not yeah. if I'm replacing something that's not that's associated with the electrical component. In other words, capacitors or something like that. I don't yeah. need an HVI. I'm, I'm, I'm a master electrician can do do any of that as long as I'm not doing anything, uh, testing, using, charging the unit running anything with their flex lines or, or I'm, as long as I'm not doing anything with the air conditioning part of it, I'm doing the electrical part. So Great part, yeah. as long as I'm only associated with the electrical part. Somebody told me that and I wasn't sure. I didn't see that was possible, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if, if you're doing with the, if you're doing with the electrical part, then, you know, then you're, you're good to go with the electrical. The other thing about it is that if you'll notice that most of those units the capacitors are accessible from the outside. There's an outside shell cover that removes. Right. Huh. So it's still, you know, it's to me, it's still exterior part of it. Now. That's the, usually the, in the fan or. Well, there's my, some like mine, for example, one's inside and one's outside. Oh, one's inside the area of the cage and one's outside where the controls are. Gotcha. Usually the ones that I replace have been out where the controls are. But you're right. I can tell you right now, as an electrician, they tell me if I, I, if 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 I can determine it's a capacitor that's bad, and they tell me I can't replace it as a master electrician, I tell them to pound sand. <laughs> yeah. You know. So, but get into anything else—the testing of the HVAC unit. 
I don't know. If I knew anything about HVAC, then I'd still have an air conditioner that works right now. And I got a two-year-old train. And, you know, this is my, my announcement to all folks out there that own a train. They don't run. Don't listen to their commercial. <laughs> oh, they really? don't. They're not, they're, worth a, they're not worth a crap. Mine isn't anyway. I'm good. brand new. I ain't two years old. And I've had, a, I've had not, a pro, not a good solid month where I haven't had a problem with it. Wow. Yep. You know it's TX. It's the TXV valves. Train put them out, and they left this. the The, the compressor outside had a the 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 uh, compressor inside the unit had a fluid in it to keep it from rusting. And so when they sold their units, it pumped it into the system, and it caused the, the TXV valves to fail. Well, they put out a put out a bulletin that said, "Here, put this liquid in them." And it will get rid of the issue of the sticking TXV valve. But they wouldn't, they didn't tell their techs to go out to do it or everyone that they installed, only when a problem arose. Oh, man. So by then, the TXV was yep. toast and it cost like 1200 bucks to fix a TXV. Oh. So, and then if you have one of those home warranty companies, which I used to do a lot of work for them. Um, <laughs> And so we have one and I'm getting ripped off because every time they come out to look at my HVAC unit, it starts working again. So, <laughs> and the guy goes, and, and, and I know this industry, not HVAC. I look at him and go, but dude, it wasn't working. He goes, Mr. Abernathy, it's working now and I can't fix it if it ain't broke. Ooh. That's ooh, true. Wanna... You do the same thing. No, I don't. I If I get out there and it ain't working, I make sure it ain't working so I can fix it. No, I don't mean that. <laughs> I don't mean that, but, but in his case, I, I know what's wrong with it. And so I'm paying this home warranty fee every month. And when my air conditioning goes out, the heat, because of the TXV valve, all I have to do is throw it into emergency heat for about 10 minutes and then turn it back on the heat and it'll work again in the winter. When it's, when it's summer, when it sticks and the air conditioning stops working, then I just have to turn it off for 15 minutes and turn it back on and it works again. So Maybe you could program Alexa to do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my app is on Alexa, but I don't know. You know, that's what everything's going through nowadays, man. Oh, yeah. I, I've installed quite a few of those for people. I, they're pretty fun. I have Alexa in my house, everything. I, I have the Alexa in all the bedrooms. I, my lights in my hallways and my kitchens. Or I come into the kitchen, I go, Alexa. Turn on kitchen lights. Boom. Yep. My kitchen lights come on. Alexa, turn on hallway. Boom. Alexa, open the garage door. Boom. Um, I made that one myself. I created my own little relay with a with a a uh, receptacle plug-in type that I made a little relay with a power supply that controls the receptacle versus Alexa. So I plugged that in the receptacle and I plugged the little gadget that I made on my workbench into that and when i say alexa turn on uh, open the garage door i'm really turning on the receptacle a little device on the receptacle and then it powers it up and it opens my garage door here's the only problem when it's time to close my garage door i go alexa open my garage door and then it closes (laughs) is it rated at 20 amps or uh the 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 power supply is only supplying power to the garage door opener sensor that's the same as what you push on the door the little button on the wall yeah 
So it's the transformer is already built into the thing. So uh, all I'm doing is powering, uh, instead of plugging my garage door opener into the receptacle, I plug right. it into that little puck. I got you. So when I it does you. it, and so my relay, what am I doing? My relay is is by is getting rid of the switch over by the garage, you know, the door to go into the house. That, yeah, that, that, yeah, that wires into the back of the actual garage door opener. Instead, I made my little relay so the it goes from there and it powers from the my power adapter, DC adapter, sends it to that little con- contact points on the back of my garage door opener. So when the power comes on, it powers that DC adapt, uh, adapter and and it actually then powers my garage door opener. So that's all I'm doing is... <laughs> turning the receptacle on and off. Uh, hilarious. I could hear you locked yourself out of the house. So you're yelling to try to get Alexa to open the garage door. Yeah. <laughs> Alexa. Well, I still, yeah, but I still, it, the, the, the one in my car still works too. So but I've, I've got a neighbor who uses Siri, which works pretty cool because he's got it on his phone yeah. and he controls everything with Siri. So that, that seems to be better than Alexa because Alexa, I don't think has a, a an added device to, Actually, actually, I have Alexa on my phone. Yeah, and and I have what's called Echo Auto in my car. Oh, I, I do have Alexa on my phone, but I didn't know you could use it like that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, you so I could just well, it's not on all the time, is it? No, well, you have to open it. You have to open it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, the one it is on is in my car. You know they you know they have the Alexas Amazon. It's called the Echo Auto. And I got one of those as as one of the one of the ones that was the demo or the pilot program for that. You had to you had to apply to get them. Well, that I like, is, all, I like yeah. all kinds of gadgets, so I had to apply to get it. In about three months, yourself? huh? How do you protect yourself? Anybody can get in your car and say, "Okay, Alexa, open the door." No, yeah. no, it's the, the device has to sync up. No. <laughs> Could they open up my car? But they have to open my car. They'd have to turn the key on and all that kind of crap. So, okay. Okay. But anyway, when I'm coming home and I'm halfway home and, and, and I want to open the garage door or something, I'm in the car and I go, Alexa, open the garage door. <laughs> and, and when I get around the corner, she's already open and I'm ready to go in. Well, I had a, I installed a garage door opener at my mother's house and the remote had a, had a deal where it, Picked it up after it got so close, and it opened automatically. Oh, it has one sensor in it. Yeah, have you seen those? It's an little, extra, little extra proximity, th- little proximity sensor or whatnot. Once you get so close, it automatically picked it up and opened. No, I haven't seen that. Those, there probably is something like a proximity sensor, or it has, you know, because those things work off a of light and something. So yeah, yeah I, frequency I or whatnot. So it's probably just something when he gets there, it, it does it. Um, yeah, yeah, pretty cool. I did. You program your uh, garage door opener controller out of your off of your uh, rear view mirror. Yes. You know those little buttons are. That's a pain in the ass. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, uh, I, my wife has a <laughs> Kia Kia Sportage, and yeah, my my truck's a 2014 uh, F150. It doesn't have that mirror thing. Oh, it doesn't. No. That's- but hers does. So yeah. Um, and it was actually programmed pretty, pretty quick. Uh, once I, you had to push the, in the garage door opener, I had to push the buttons on it to put it into sending mode. And then uh, I went out and held the, 
the no actually i take it back that was a different one that was my other device on hers you held i held the remote near it and pushed it and then pushed the button on hers and it synced up so i used the remote i used the remote for hers People will say, stay down the road here a little ways, and they got these devices that can pick those things up. Same thing with your key fob. You know, you're, you're trying to look for your car or whatever. Well, they got mm-hmm. you know, people steal your cars and stuff because they could pick that signal up, and now they know. Well, Daddy needs a new truck, so if anybody would like to come and steal the <laughs> F-150. Well, that money you're making? Jeez, I'm surprised. No, no. I'm a, I'm a loyal, once I get a truck, I'm going to tell you, my last, I had a Jeep Grand Cherokee and I had that thing for 13 years. When I get a car or truck, I am ragging it out. If I'm going to pay five years worth of car payments, I'm going to double, at least double my use out of it. I am, I am frugal. Man, trucks are not cheap. Huh? (laughs) Trucks are not cheap. (laughs) No. Gosh, they a lot of money. Even that one was, I think it's just the XLT with the leather interior. That one, I think that one was, I can't remember. I think I paid 48 or 49,000 for it. So I'm right at 50 or something. So I'm, all I know is, (sighs) and it's it's the super cruise. So all I know is I'm going to be driving that. When you hear my podcast in 2025, I'm still going to be driving that truck. Unless the thing breaks down on me, I'm still driving that truck. My wife get the new cars. I'm driving that truck until it won't run anymore. <laughs> oh, God. Well, it's going to nickel and dime you to death, you know. It's going to be little stuff probably with a suspension or something. or Shame on you. Don't say transmission or Is it a 4 by 4 Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just saying. Trans, you know, your transfer case or... You know, your air conditioner. Because you know what's really expensive in these damn new cars is the catalytic converters. They're, like, outrageous, you know. Yeah, leave it all to, leave it to Texas that requires it to be all, you know, meet the energy thing. And we have a 31-year-old Mustang. <laughs> it cost me, like, $15 to get it inspected. The guy doesn't even open the hood. He just looks at it. <laughs> and uh, it's just so funny. And it, you know... I got it all souped up, everybody. It's like, you know, that's the way it should be. <laughs> right now, I, I, funny Mustang. I I bought my son a, a 2004. That's the, that was the 30th or 40th anniversary Mustang. Oh, nice. And uh, that was oh. my, that was my present to him. Oh. And. Uh, Do you like it? Uh, yeah, but you know what? When I got it, it was in mint condition because a guy that I bought it from worked where I worked and it was in, it had been kept in the garage from yeah. it day one. It, in fact, it only had like, I want to think 10,000 miles on it. Wow. You got awesome. That's man. I gave it to him. He didn't, he, he loved the Mustang, but he, his, his attention, when I looked at it, it was, it was the base model. So to me, I'm kind of, it had a muffler package. The guy had put this muffler. So it sounds crazy. And yeah, everything looked like it came off the factory and I gave it to him. Now it looks like crap. Scratches all over it. Just no sense of taking care of nothing. Well, it happens when you're using shit. You know what I mean? It's his car. You know, he. um, If I didn't have the son, I still would have bought the car because you wouldn't believe what price I got that car from. It had Pirellis on it. I paid (laughs) $4,500 for that car. Golly. 10,000 miles on it. I paid $4,500 for that car. Wow. So I would have taken the car. I, you know, 
I like what, I, look, I think I look cool in a Mustang. What did he want to get rid of it for? Um, he had something going on with the health in. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, and he was like, you know, he wasn't. He didn't come to me to buy it. He was just talking about it in there, and got, you know, and he had a lot of health issues, and he was talking about, well, I got to sell my car, you know, this, 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 and so one day I just said, you know, if you're interested in selling that car, I'm, I'm interested in it. My son was looking for a car, and and Mustang was one of his dream cars, so. He uh he he didn't say anything about it, and about a week later he comes and goes. Well, if you're interested in it, I'll take. He said I wanted to get sixty five hundred for it, but since I know you were well, I'll take forty five. And I jumped at it. I was like, sold. I'll take it. Then he charged him eighty five dollars to put that receptacle in his garage. I can't believe it. <laughs> well, he's not that good of a friend. No, I'm just. Sorry, <laughs> right, man. I gotta uh, get paid. I have to get paid. No, I'm just saying. All right. All well, right, I'm my go, friend. Man, I love talking to you. That was the first time, and I appreciate you, everything you've done. And I, I'm really – I don't know. I'm, I'm going to get started on this master thing, and I'm not going to do it in a year. I'm going to try to do it in a few months here. Yeah. I just got to get get up on the code. Definitely. I, I, Definitely. And I, I know the, the calculations and stuff. I, I've taken a couple of uh, courses, mm-hmm. but uh, the I was surprised. I was surprised. When you at, say courses, what what courses have you taken? IEC, electrical independent electrical contractors. They have uh, masters that come in there and they teach you how to what's going to be on the master's test. And it was an overwhelming amount of homework. But it was th- those are the courses I'm talking about. They they only last for maybe uh, three months or something. You go. How much? How much does a course like that cost? Uh I'm thinking 300 and something. Hmm. The only reason I ask is because I get a lot of this from people, and, and I might be slightly biased, you think, because yeah. I sell courses. But I don't think that there's a better course out there than our fast tracks. I, I literally don't think it. And I've seen people get crash course, weekend courses. I've seen these type of courses. The course that we do with Fast Tracks is based around the book that's put out by a guy named Charles Miller. Charles Miller is a friend of mine. I promote his book through our course, but it's online. And so for the same $315, and I don't know if you saw, I just recently, we recently dropped the prices for 2020. I didn't know. Yeah, pretty dramatically. So I have a residential program, commercial program, industrial program, motor control program, have a grounding and bonding program. We have fast tracks program and we have exam questions only program, um, which is 800 exam style questions. If you get through, if you're scoring in the upper eighties and nineties and all those, then you have no problem passing exam. So, um, but the fast tracks covers every aspect that's important of the code. It covers calculations, single-family dwellings, multifamily dwellings, commercial, covers all of those, and it teaches you code, and we give you access to the 800 exam questions as, as part of the program. So you don't pay extra for that. That's $269 value by itself. So you get all, and you get access to it for 365 days. So if you can't pass your exam in 365 days, and man, we, you know, of, of dedicated study. Um, the other thing about this is is unique is that every unit you have what's called an end of unit exam, and the end of unit exam is not a multiple choice. 
You literally have to know the material you just read so you can give us the code reference and fill in the blank. And I grade those, no matter how many students are in our course, I grade those personally. And if I see a question that you got wrong, I will give you back the response to each one of those questions. So there is no way somebody cannot pass an exam if they go through it. Now, if you just go into the course and you're just you're cherry picking, then that's not how it was designed. You and, and a lot of them do that. And if it helps you pass, great. But there is a method to the madness. Once you get in, there's a lot of reading. But if you don't like to read, we have a feature where it'll play it to you. You can listen to this to the work. Um, so there's no way a person cannot. Plus, that's why we use that for the CMECP program as well, because it literally walks you through all the major components of the code. It doesn't teach you everything, because this book is, you know, this book is a thick book, okay? But it really does walk you through the beginning to the end, so it makes you a more well-rounded code person, and that's what we're after, a more well-rounded code person, not that's just great. somebody can go take an exam and pass. That's that's important to me is to get the license first. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, if I could just go and take the lesson, if I could just go and take it, pass it, but I still want to continue. And that's why I was telling you that I wanted to do that. This it's inspector course. Uh, so, but mm-hmm. you know, well, what's, CM, you know, what CM, CMECP is not an inspector course. Well, it's a certified call? master electrical code professional course. So it's for master okay. electricians who were wanting to take their electrical code knowledge to the next level. Oh, okay. You mean once you're a master, you haven't mastered the code? Absolutely not. <laughs> so that's the funny part about exams. We write the exam, and yeah. when we're sitting in a room writing a master's exam, the master's <laughs> exam is supposed to be an entry level to get you what you need to know to get into the master level. Then you really start to put do the hands-on the experience you start to gain. The, well, the exams are not supposed to be so hard that a, you have to be a 30-year. Now, that's the problem. When we're doing these exams, we often have arguments in these rooms. We'll look at each other and go, dude, you're trying to write the question too hard. And they don't have 30 years experience. And guess what? They don't need to have 30 years experience. They're going to learn, but they need to have the license to do it. And so that's what we try to step back and then write the exam that way and go, okay. Okay, we're not going to write something that's so complicated that you'd have to have 30 years of experience to understand it. That's not what the intent of a license is. The license is simply the gateway to your career, whether you're a journeyman or master. When you're a journeyman, you have a year that you learn your craft, and then you get to move up. Because I'll be honest with you, the big difference between a master and journeyman is the ability to pull permits. That's I know. It's the same I know plenty of journeymen. You know, all you got to do is go to one of those journeyman competitions and watch those guys wire. You realize that they know more than most masters might know, but they're still journeymen. All right. It's two different things. There's the code. Now, and then I get a lot of grief from people that say, Paul, you talk code too much. I'm like, look, you got to know code to get past the gatekeeper. I work with some, you know, IBEW guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They're kind of, they kind of stick to themselves and stick with other IBEW guys when you're working together as a group, you know, or when they, you know what I mean? They, mm-hmm. they, they stick their little clickness. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, also we work with uh, switchgear and stuff, which we're talking about 4,000 volts, you know, or 13,000 volts. Mm-hmm. And just switchgear, you know, you have to wear the PPE and stuff, you know, the flash protection, Absolutely. arc flash. You know, we don't work on it live, but if we kill the kill the switchgear and we work on it, usually we had a contractor come in and did stuff. But you still have to, as an electrician working on these job sites, you got to go in and, and see if you got a blown fuse or something. Mm-hmm. It was just need for that. As dangerous as all get out because you don't really understand it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't think that you learn that being an electrician. I don't know where you learn that at, but do you do you cover any of that stuff or you know? No, so that voltage stuff, huh? Medium voltage. It's really medium voltage. Yeah, no, I really don't get into medium medium voltage um, because usually that's just a totally different animal. You don't need to know any real medium voltage in order to be you know, to to be uh, a residential or a general commercial electrician. Most of the medium voltage now the National Electrical Code does cover medium voltage and and you know it's in three ten uh and and things like that and but or not three ten what am I that's three three hundred is that specialized equipment or something? No Oh yeah yeah three ten so that's six hundred volt and then now in well I'm talking twenty twenty now we have a three eleven and a three eleven is dealing totally with medium voltage. So it used to be in twenty seventeen and earlier medium voltage is in three ten with the six hundred volts, which is now a thousand volts or less and then yeah. over a thousand. Um, but in 2020 code, we actually have a new article that's 311, and that's where all the medium voltage. So anything over 2,000 volts is going to 311, and 310 is still going to cover 2,000 volts or less. Okay, so we don't start thinking medium voltage usually in our realm until we get over 2,000 volts. And I don't really do any. I don't really do any teaching because I again I teach code. In uh, the hands-on part, you just gotta you just gotta have. A, training somebody's got to be there who has been doing this and experience to train you for that type of stuff yeah hands-on type type of stuff it's dangerous yeah it can be but you know again i'll tell people you don't have to work with that voltage live if somebody's making you do it then you know that's theoretically they're violating an osha requirement never work on it live Huh? No way. no way would I work on that stuff live. Yeah. No way. You have to have a good lockout tag out procedure and make sure that stuff is down when you work on it. And yeah. it, it, again, the basic concepts of connection other than the medium voltage cables, which can be unique in how they terminate or splice, they're unique. And a lot of times the manufacturers who make that stuff will give you little classes on that stuff. So that's not overly complicated. They usually have instructions. They have kits for like mm-hmm. making uh, ends, you know, making your ends up or whatever. Splicing it, terminating them. But if you reach out to a manufacturer, yeah. a lot of times they'll offer free training on it. I'll be, yeah. Yep. They'll come. I mean, I, Uncle Wire, for example, I travel all over the country training people in certain aspects of our products, um, answering their code questions or showing them where they're doing this or that wrong. Or they're like, eh, I wouldn't do it that way, you know, but that's not how I'd do it. And so <laughs> most manufacturers will reach out and bend over backwards as long as you're using their product. Are you an engineer by any chance? I have I have a degree in engineering. I'm not a P, I'm not a PE. Oh, you do have an engineering degree. I was wondering if you had electrical engineering. Electrical. Mm-hmm. So I never had a desire to do to be a professional engineer. And I'll be honest with you, my engineering degree is is about as good as this piece of paper I've got in my hand. 
Well, the one that I'm the one that I'm crumbling up now. Uh, because <clears throat> mine was done many years ago, and it was done through a a, a partnership with. Um, see, I was I was one of the Virginia's youngest licensed to master electrician, so I had a lot of hands-on training. And early on, we didn't have they didn't have a program. So what's now the program that you're all people are all familiar with now is the um, deck on it. I drew a blank. It's uh, it's the real big online one. Um, shoot, deck on it. And they weren't they weren't called that back then. Now it's um. Master electricians? Oh, you lost me. I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, I'm talking about uh, the, the 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 college that I went to. Oh, um, oh. It, it was the university was. Um, I got you. Phoenix. I got you. Phoenix. So Phoenix. Yeah, back yeah, yeah. in the beginning, when Phoenix started out, they had right. a partnership with with a new charter. Right. And and I they didn't have an electric engineering program. I got you. So I was able to do that program. And it was uh, actually it was overseas division of Phoenix. Got you. Got now you. I didn't have to do the lab work because they accepted at the time they accepted my master. I had to do a an essay and and I had to do the other work online, but I didn't have the I didn't have to do the lab work because of my master's license. That same thing I took. I, I went to Grantham University. It's an online course. Mm-hmm. On online college, and they do have engineering courses. You even get your doctorate if you want to. Yeah, no, this was this was back in this was back in. Uh, um, you were in the Navy? You were in Virginia, and yeah. you're doing electrical stuff? Huh? You sound like you were in the Navy to me, like a nuke or something. No, no, wasn't in the Navy. Like if I would have been smart, I'd have gone in the military back then. That's what, I work with all these guys that work with the nuclear power. I came off a submarine, so I went on the weapon side. They were on the nuclear. Power side, and I was on the nuclear weapons side. Oh, okay. so, so that's where I, I they, they taught me how to work on all this guidance system stuff and everything for the missiles and all that crap. You know, I didn't have to. And the power guys, you know, they got to do all the electrical stuff for the for the reactor and the power of the submarine and all that. You know. Well, but for me, I was kind of screwed because I went through all that, and then when I got that degree, it was it was useless. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. It, and so what happened is Phoenix branched off and shut ties with everything. So then I'm sitting here with nothing. So the only thing that I could do to get my my uh, masters was I had to go to the same university. So, but they ended up establishing something over here called New Charter. So then I ended up having to do it through New Charter. And so that was uh, in 2005 to 2006 when I did that year of the masters. Well, why did you have to have educational requirements for the masters? You've already had you worked. Didn't you already have your journeyman? Uh, you mean n- no? I, well, I was a journeyman electrician. Then I wanted. Then I became a master electrician. When I right, went into the, the university program, I didn't have to have it. They they right. had you could either take the lab work. I did all the core work, you know, the fundamentals, engineering fundamentals. But the lab they had a lab requirement. Like most places now, you do something, you got to go away right. and at least do labs. Yeah. For like two months or whatever it was. Well, the portion that I had to do for them under their curriculum, they were able to accept my fact that I already had a master electrician's license. I got you. So I didn't need the hands-on lab stuff. They were like, well, you already have a license. You're already a master electrician. So I was blessed in the fact that they accepted that. Right. Now, I don't know that anybody would accept, accept that today. I don't. I don't think they would today. So 
When people hear me and they hear me talking, they'll notice that I never talk about any of the schooling that I did back then because I let my record stand for my years that people know me from teaching and code and NEMA and working everywhere. That's the, that's the, you know, the videos and the books that I've written. I let that do the talking. I don't sit and talk about that because I think it was a, it was one, a waste of money for me and a waste of time. Um, I really, you know, I got, I mean, I got a lot out of the schooling, but that was back when people don't realize now how easy they have it. Like our university online, it's so integrated. Back then it was Blackboard. It was even like a before Blackboard. It was, it was (laughs) terrible. Have you tried to do math on a computer? Do calculations on a computer? It is very hard. You have to... Well, I saw some videos of how they're teaching kids to do math today, and I would not be very good at doing that. I still have to do it the old way. So I know, on a piece of paper, right? But you try to hit the down. Word document, and you have to have this stuff uh, you know, brought in so it'll, it'll make it look like math. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so now the kids are doing these, these cubes and, 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 and all this kind of crap to come up with a solution. It takes them 20 minutes to do something that we can do in, in – uh, five minutes, two minutes, three minutes, something. I mean, it's gotten all crazy, but electrical math, I've always been something I've, you know, again, Ohm's law, Watts law, Kirchhoff's law, uh, all those type of things, doing those calculations, series, parallel calculations, um, all those kind of things. You really, you know, all you need is a basic calculator to do it. Um, and so that's the stuff. Now, when I get into things like I'm calculating a lot of raceway pull calculations for people, uh, tension, tension pull calculations, sidewall pressure calculations. There's formulas, but we don't use the formulas anymore. Now those I do use a software because the software is designed. A Polywater makes one called a Pull Planner 4.0, and I had some input on that program on, on things that they should put in it. So I utilize that exclusively, and for when I'm doing pull calculations, because it's just. You know, it's like near McGrath. Nobody does a near McGrath calculation anymore for Ampacity. We just take the values that are in 31015B16 and we go with it. Um, although the code allows for engineering supervision to do a calculation. Right. But I don't want to touch it, even though I know that we're very conservative on the installations that we use today. We probably could get more current out of them but and the sizes we use today. But... As a manufacturer of wire and cable, we're very happy with the conservativeness of whatever's in the table. We don't right. want to have engineers go out there and tell me that uh, where I tell you that a 400 amp aluminum is good for 200 amps, I don't want so- or 180 amps. I don't want somebody to go out there and say, "Well, I'm an engineer. I think it's good for 300 amps." Nope. You do that, you own it. I don't want well, any parts of that. UL rated because once you get the stamp on it, it's co- it's rated for that, right? Now, so the UL has has nothing to do with that. So UL has to do with the testing of the insulation, elongation, uh, that it's done, if it's going to be sunlight resistant or it's going to be uh, all those type of things. That's tested. Flame retardancy, that's tested. That's the UL part. They don't have anything to do with the ampacities of the conductor. That's based on the size of the conductor that's, that's generally been passed down through years. And we go to the National Electrical Code for that. Now, uh, an engineer who's doing engineering supervision are doing a near McGrath calculation based on soil resistivity, based on temperatures, based on all these factors 
to come up with a new ampacity that's not the same that's in the code book. And I, <laughs> and so for me, I'm like, when an engineer does that, a PE does that, they're taking 100% of the liability for that product. <laughs> and I don't want that kind of liability. So I was wondering. You I'd get a lot of false huh? I mean, yeah, I'd rather follow the I'd rather follow the values that are in the National Electrical Code and be done with it. So some people ask when we're going to change those impasties as a manufacturer, and I'm like, probably never because NFPA won't do it. So the manufacturers, somebody's got to pay for it, and all of us manufacturers aren't going to pony up the money to do it. We're pretty happy with the way it is, so we're we're going to leave it the way it is. Well, if you change it to a thousand volts, it'll change, right? Are they no, still well, a thousand? Everything's now the ampacity doesn't change the voltage. Well, right? I, I'm. I mean, it's it, right now the code says you, it's been changed to a thousand volts or less. If you have a thousand volts, you can have a, you can have a lot more amps with a thousand volts than you can four hundred eighty volts, right? No, not necessarily. I mean, it's it's well. Let me say it like that. Um, <laughs> it's that all true? about the it's all Is about it? the current current draw, right? So I have a thousand amps, I mean a thousand volts, right? But at the end of the day, it's. I guess you can have no, if there's, if it's direct short, you're going to have max current. Yeah. Well, bolted fault, then you're going to have max. In, but that, that but doesn't, in our case, is, is, does it, does it? Our case, I can have a thousand volts, but yeah, it's still you. only, it's still only be 20 amps. <clears throat> I got you. But a thousand, uh, it's like transmission lines. Like a fuse on a transmission line might be three amps. And you're wondering, how in the hell can that three-amp fuse pull that building over there? Well, that's because the, the, the it's fuse... It's 100,000 volts or something. Well, you know? that's because that, so, that fuse, the current traveling through the fuse, there's, there's, there's nothing that's... Pulling more than three amps. Yeah, there's nothing pulling more than three amps because, again, if you do the... If you, you know, getting back to like your, your calculation... If I have a 25-ohm ground rod, right? Right. And people think that the ground rod is going to play some effect in tripping something. And I'm real quick looking for my... Hold on here. I have no idea what I do with my... Boy, that's real professional. I don't know what I did with my... Oh, there it is. I was getting my phone. Um, I was going to do, do, some, do some math here. So if you look at, and I think it's 4.8 amps anyway, but if you look at the concept, if I've got 13,800, say, volts, and I've got a 25-ohm ground rod, so I'm 13.8, 25, oops. So I've got, if I'm going to do Ohm's Ohm's law into it, or I'm going to do my calculation, and I've got, uh, let's see here. Hold on here. Actually, you know what? I think I have one. Actually, I think I have one. On, I think I have an example that I did. I did a. I was trying to look for. I had a real complicated example that I did for somebody one day, and I, <laughs> I, I had it, and I was going to read you the example because I went through this long, detailed example. It's probably overly detailed example, but I had a good example that I was using for somebody. Let's see where it is. Is this it? Yeah, that's it. So I had 13.8, and we wonder why they drive the rods, right? 
at the at the poles for the utility, right? So they okay. drive these these poles down, and I want to find out what the the amps are. So what do you think you're going to solve for? Current. So they have the E. This thirteen. There's some resistance there. What's the resistance? So it's the, well, it's, we say a twenty five ohm ground rod. Okay, twenty five ohms. Yep. So I've got thirteen eight. Right, thirteen eight divided by twenty five ohms. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna solve my my calculation out, what do you what do you get? I don't want to have a calculator here with me. <laughs> oh, right. that's all. Right. Well, the point point being, if I have a normal ground rod and I've got two hundred forty volts, where is it? Divided yep. by twenty five ohms, right? What are you What are you going to get? Two hundred forty. So two hundred forty divided. Oops. By twenty five ohms is not about nine point six. Did you say thirteen thousand eight or thirty no, one thousand three hundred eight? Uh, 13,800. 8, 13, oh, 13,800. Yeah. So now, typically what we see is 120 divided by 25, and that is 4.8, okay? So if I have at a house, and I got a ground rod, and I got one of the lines, and I have one of the legs, and that falls out, falls out right? Right. Then it's going to be 4.8 amps. That's not going to trip a 15-amp breaker. Never going to happen, right? No. So... When I go when I go to the other and so again because that's a fifteen amp breaker so now on their side they've got this three amp fuse, right? Right. So those suckers if and and I think thirteen eight was pretty high for the for this right there at the point where the transformer is it's usually I think it's seven seven eight but anyway I'm just using an example so if it's thirteen eight volts there and they have a ground rod that's twenty five ohms then it's the same calculations thirteen eight divided by twenty five ohms. And that's 552. So if I have a, a connection there where I've got going through that fuse and I have a fault to ground, then that's obviously going going to trip that, uh, blow that three amp fuse, right? Yeah. Easily. Easily. So on, our, on their side, the higher the voltage, the easier it is to trip the breaker that the breakers don't have to be so high. On our side, when we're in a, in a, in a house... Then it's different. If we got one 20 volt leaks and you have a one twelve circuit breaker, then I have 120 volts ground. And to say that 25 ohm ground rod, then the problem we have is 4.8 volts that uh, 4.8 amps, excuse me, that's pulling through the circuit. That's not going to that's not going to trip the breaker. But you're on the primary side of the utility, then it's easily going to trip that three amps. And if there's no ground fault or anything, that that fuse or there's no no overload is taking place because that's all going to the primary side, then it's not going to trip the breaker or blow the fuse. Right. But they only need a three amp fuse. I mean, if they can blow it, I mean, they actually could put a bigger one there. It would still, still work, but they use the voltage, higher voltage benefits them. So for us, the lower voltage, it's not going to clear. You know, that's why we tell people ground rods are not part of the electrical system. Certainly ain't going to trip a breaker with, with using the ground rods. Current doesn't travel, although current travels on the earth, it's not a low impedance fault path, and it's not to be intended as a path. 
you're not going to ever trip any breakers uh, based on any connection that gets over the ground. It's just not going to do it. And so that ground rod has nothing to do with clearing overcurrent devices at all. However, for the utility, it does have an application. That's why they drive the ground rods so often. And so if you do the math, if it was, I think typically, and I can't remember, I think 7,800 7, maybe? I can't remember. I should know that. Utility, but I don't know a utility guy. So a lot seven, higher than that. It's 12, or like, I got 4,160 and 12,000. 12, they call it 13,000 volts, but it's 12,470. Yeah, well, but, if I have 4,160 divided a, by 25 ohm ground rod, that's still 166 amps. That's going to clip. That's going to trip a three amp fuse or whatever it is. But in yours, you're, you're probably going to have a lot higher overcurrent protection than that if you have overcurrent protection. This is just what I'm talking about up on the pole for the utility. Right? Well, in a lot of cases, I don't know what your fuses are. On that higher voltage stuff, the damn the cable is got less resistance than what it'll blow the fuse anyway. So a lot of times it'll just lay on the ground and starts burning the hell out of oh, everything. Keep, keep burning? Yeah. What, so what size fuses do you typically have in those 4160s and all that? I can't rem Maybe, uh, I can't remember. I'm trying to remember. Maybe 100 or something. Yeah, so yeah. I want to think that they were, they, they're pretty standard to be 100, 125 or something. I mean. It's pretty big. It's huge. It's a pretty big fuse. Yeah, but I don't think the amps are real high on it. Compo yeah, compared to what's on the pole. But it's, yeah. uh, but you have to have an, and, and the switch gear, then you have to have another device just like ground fault protection, just like a GFCI. It's a device that detects ground. So when it goes to ground, it trips it. When it so trips. So those are probably, those are ones that are over, over a thousand volts and yeah. the three phase yeah. over a thousand volts. And that's probably yeah. GFP, ground fault protection. Yep. It's, yeah. I, I didn't know all that. I had to learn all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, but this, uh, if they don't work, that cable just lays there and burns in the ground. A lot of times the cables will lay in these little troughs and they'll be full of water. It'll be 4,000 volts turning through these cables. You know, when you say 4,000 volts, you got to say half of that because, you know, it's not phase-to-phase, -phase really. But uh, anyway. Still, um, a lot, still a lot more than what I deal with. <laughs> and, now, uh, I'm, a and, four, I'm a 480, 277, 220, uh, 240, uh, 120 guy. Today, yeah. I was a, today I was a 14-volt guy. But I don't uh, – that's typically – You got to see the – the new thing now is, are these drives, these motor drives? They're using them like transformers. They're creating these DC buses. They got say you have a whole bunch of motor drives, and what it used to be, you had a, a rectifying system to take that AC and turn it into DC to run the drive, mm -hmm. and then it'll, and it'll takes takes the DC and chops it up, and makes AC out of it to run a, an electric motor. Well, now they have a, and it, and it costs money to have each drive have this rectifier in it to change that voltage from ac to dc now they'll have a big drive to run a bus that will take the power coming in off the generator and create a bus system for dc voltage for all the all of the drives which were a lot smaller now because they don't have that rectifier on right. and so now you just have this little computer box that turns it turns the dc on and off to make this sine wave for the motors to run so now that's a new thing. It's pretty interesting. Huh. 
It's free, and, and then they can adjust the voltage and everything. The frequency voltage doesn't matter. Yeah, well, see, that was sounding. It was sounding like variable frequency drive, but, um, but it, the, well, it is in a way. I mean, you're, you see, you have a generator. Some of our cranes had DC generators. You know, you got a you got a forty one sixty motor, and then I got two different generators to run two different kind of motors, and then the the drive actually ran the output for the other generators to the motors, and they were DC motors. But now they have these DC drives. They they take AC power in, convert convert the power to DC, so they can DC is a lot easier to manipulate for these drives, the computer systems. These computers control turn these little uh, SCRs on and off, on and off, on and off, to make the sine waves for the deep, for the AC motors now. So they can yeah. control these motors. It's really fascinating. Interesting. It is. I tell you, technology. You know, it's. Uh, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do in the buildings nowadays, but uh, you know, they don't really have a reason to have DC power. But well, it, we've got DC. We we have the changes three Article three ninety nine that came in the code that I mean. You know, Thomas Edison's happy now, enrolling, unrolling in his grave, is that they actually have the low voltage lighting systems that are going through the buildings now, where you can actually plug right into the grid. So the lights plug right into this this component that's built into the cross member of a grid in a suspended ceiling grid. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and and then now they're wanting to even go out of that and tap it and come down and have it be at the power stations for all the people where their computer's at so they can get rid of the inefficient uh, converter or inverter. Converter. Usually they have a UPS or something. Wow. Yeah, but the the newest system is they're they're, they're wanting to get, once they get it in, they want the DC to be distributed all down into the workstations so that people don't have, they can plug their computers straight into the DC now. And uh, that type of stuff stuff's coming. Really? Yeah. So you have a power supply on your PC? Yeah, you can get rid of the supply. <laughs> so that to me, that's the isolation. Uh, you know. Yeah, that's supposed to be the way they, they some of those s- smarter buildings are going. Uh, it's not just the lighting anymore, so it's expanding. Uh, although the 399 is just for the lighting, so I don't know how they're getting away with all the other stuff, but it's just low voltage. Um so it's just, and then of course you got now people talking power over Ethernet. People talking, I get calls all that all the time. It says, "Will our wire ever be obsolete?" I'm like, "Well, you're only gonna be able to push so much through those small wires through power over Ethernet." So um, somebody's gonna get smart and realize that we could use transformer technology the same way we do today. Power here, transformer, send it through small wires, get to the other end and jack it back up again. And that way all the infrastructure is going to be really low voltage or a little small wire. And there, and you're going to have these transformers at everything. Ah, well, you're God. going to have a lot of interference. You, you know, the voltage, it's going to cause a lot of uh, data and high voltage don't really mix very well. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, it's, you're going to get a lot of, you know, well, EMF filtrations, different things, transformer, you know, even special transformers filtration to try to frequency always becomes a problem. I actually did a video a podcast on harmonics. Um, I guess it was a week or two ago, something like that. But yeah, I mean, they wouldn't move that direction unless they sorted something out as far as the signaling and all that kind of stuff. 
I mean, we've got now the cables that we, we produce, and actually that's my invention is the MC cable with the class one, uh, class two, class three cable inside of it. Uh, I have I have a patent for that. Um, oh, so really? What what they're using is fiber for the like the main control stuff, like to these drive systems. Mm-hmm. They have a fiber communication, oh. basically. Fiber optics. Yeah, because that communicates to a PLC. They have to have because of reliability. They can't have any mistakes. Of data because that drive is controlling a motor, you know, that because right. it's controlling a lot of weight or whatever massive thing, you know. So there can't be any issues with that, and and it has to have data that is accurate. Like it could it could control the speed. It could you know they don't have to have over uh, the current over overload protection. It it controls that. It controls you know uh, coming off the drive. It, it, yeah, it, it knows everything about. Sounds what, like a simplistic way to do it. Sounds like that's. Uh, yeah, this way. The way to go. It's it's not that difficult. I mean, you have black box stuff. It's a computer, you know, and it's all run. They have certain softwares that that communicate that you can go in and do the parameters. They call them parameters. You know, it's a lot of information to put in there about you know different types of things. You know, right for a motor or for whatever, you know, a lot of things. And it has to be tuned pretty much tuned to the job. An engineer goes in. I don't know how they do it, but. Well, I just still have to have, still have to have power normal to the motors and everything. So. Right. We're we're not going to be out of, out of a job. Right. And you know, what you put in, you can't get more out of what you start with. I don't think. (laughs) Yeah. Well, be like a perpetual motion machine. That's right? what we used to. I used to tell people with vehicles. I'd say, "Why can't we put generators on the tires and <laughs> batteries in it?" And so, when two sets of batteries. So, when the batteries run in the car, the two generate the two in the front are generating charging another battery, and when yeah. the and then the two in the back are being run by the other battery. So, when it's running, the, the front wheels are charging the other battery. The back wheels are driving the car. And then. <laughs> When that battery gets depleted, it shifts over automatically, and now the front wheels are driving it, and the back wheels that are rolling are charging the actual batteries in the back. I said, "Perfect! One would it would always charge itself." And then I, I realized that you know that's that's all great theory, but you know you can only get so much power out of power. So you got resistance, you got wind, you got load, you got everything. But it looked really good on paper. I mean, I drew it out. I was like, "I got this." But I had one built like that for with permanent magnets. <laughs> I mean, there's got to be a way, but of course. Well, I thought the best one was uh, the hy- making hydrogen with water and electrolysis. Mm-hmm. You know, you run you run electricity through water and it creates hydrogen, and you separate that off and you burn that. I thought that was the best one. Yeah, I don't think that went. I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> no, you had those little videos where you could make it yourself and add it to your car, and it was going to give you, you know, get better gas mileage. And you see all those things. Mm, no, I don't. I would think since you're dealing with nuclear, you're trying to figure out how to do a nuclear car, right? Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. So it might get you somewhere, but then it radiates everybody in the way, you know. So. <laughs> oh, it yeah, kills all your cell phones, right? Some kind of EMP or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I would, you know, people talk, ask me about electric cars when I own an electric car. And, uh, you know, 
Tesla's look pretty neat, except for the fact that I have a travel trailer and I pull my boat and I got that new truck by Tesla yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And I go, you know, if I was just getting around back and forth around, that's fine. But they, I said, look, I want to be able to put gas in it because I want to go more than 225 miles or whatever. I mean, I, you know, I like, I don't want to stop somewhere and have to wait to, to charge back up. But since we have level three chargers now that can charge in 20 minutes, you know, it, you, you know, electric cars are looking like it's a possibility. I like the, my, my favorite, to be honest with you, and it's, it's kind of grandma-ish, but it's the Volt. Um, I can have both gas and I can have both electric car. Perfect. I got the best of both worlds. I run out of power. I got the gas. Gas charges the electric. I'm good to go. So Yeah. Sounds good. I thought they had a, I thought the idea was that they were going to have like a gas station that you were the battery of the car. You just drive up to like a pump place and it would change your battery out and cost, it would cost you about as much as it would for a tank of gas. And so you don't really own the battery. It's like your, your, your gas grill, uh, propane tanks. You just drive up to a station it change your battery out and you're good to go. Did you make that? that up? Did you make that up? Was that original was, idea or something? <laughs> I thought that's what I heard that they were going to do. I thought Tesla was going to do that. Now to me, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Yeah. If, if it was the cost of a, of a tank of gas, the problem yeah. with this, my understanding is to get those batteries out is a true well, pain. I know I've seen the structure of the vehicles. They, they have like this unibody thing and then, the battery's built into it, and you can put all these bodies on it to make these different cars, right? Mm-hmm. I see something like that. Anyway, um, they have to, you know, it has to design the thing to where you pull up and it, the battery drops out, and you plugs back in, and you go on. It's like uh, an RC car, man. Makes sense. They made to make it just like an RC car. You can go in and drop it in, pop it up, they keep them charged all the time. Put one in, put one up. But yeah, you know what? Pump. You'd have to you'd have to you'd have to universal that so that it would fit in Yeah. It's easy. Know. Square big square thing. Yeah. Right? Well okay. yeah, but it wouldn't fit it would, would wouldn't fit in one of those little e cars, that's for sure. One of those little teeny weeny things. Oh, they would be out of luck, I guess. You know, uh, they have to go to the charging station, wait twenty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if you think about it. The new Tesla gets 300 and some miles. Yeah. I think my F-150 probably only gets about 380 miles to get to a tank of gas. It sucks gas. So if I pulled somewhere and you had to go and you had to, and they had along the, the concept was EV ready. When I was back at NEMA, we were big on EV ready. Is if the, if, if major highways would put, charging stations at the rest stops and they can get it down to where you can charge your car in 10 minutes. I mean, they got it where you can charge it in 20. If they could get it where you can charge it at 10, then it's a, it's a matter of pulling into the rest stop, plugging in, going to the bathroom, taking a break, whatever, and you're, you could charge your car up. <laughs> then actually people would, people would be interested in that. But you, you know, some of these level three charging stations, you know, power to power those as much as a daggone house. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about those charging stations. I've seen them. I don't know what level there are. There's Can level you... one, there's, there's level one, level two, level three. So if you get a Prius, that's there or, or, or something like that's like a level one. It takes about 
20 to 21 hours to 20, 18, 20, whatever charge. Then you got a level two, which will charge it a little higher, you know, higher ampacity. Uh, usually what you'll get with, with when you buy a Tesla, if you put it in your house, it's usually about 50 amps, 60 amps, generally, or something like that. And that'll charge you in about six, seven hours. Then overnight, if you need to charge it. The level three will charge that thing, supercharge that bad boy in about 20 minutes. Well, can you use a Prius on the one that does it in 20 minutes? Yeah, that's the question I don't know because I think that the actual proprietary plug system is, okay. diff is different for the level three style. Okay. It's a little, little bit different. But, you know, I, but I can tell you this much. Ain't nobody going to buy a level three to go in their house. Right. First of all, their services wouldn't be big enough. Commercial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. put a generator out there. Yeah, but and I can't imagine. You know, people that do the Prius, you know that that just it's just you plug it in and charge it overnight. So they'll give you a charger, you know, plug in charge for that. When you get the level two, you got to you got to pay for that. That's where they have to come out and you have to run your you know run a brand <coughs> circuit brand circuit to it and do that. Uh, I am not seen personally any level threes in a residence. I've seen them installed at commercial locations. You can do that. You know, you put your trailer hitch on there and then put you one of them little metal extensions that come off your bumper. Like, you know, you can put coolers on and stuff. I'll put you a, a, a like a, a generator. <laughs> oh, run the generator while you're driving a car. Great. If you needed, you wanted both. You said you could do alternate, modified version of it. So I'm so I'm wasting not I'm wasting gas to run the generator <laughs> to power my car. <laughs> oh, I still got to stop and get gas for the generator. I nah, forget it. I'll keep my F one fifty and like I said, I'm going to run that until twenty twenty five. You know. <laughs> The uh, what was I thinking? Oh, lost my train of thought there. It's about those cars, but <laughs> I lost it. I no, lost. well, you know what I'm thinking. If there is anybody out there still listening to this podcast three hours into it, they are die hard. <laughs> they are die hard because we went totally off topic two hours ago. Uh, whatever uh, on, on, on everything so um it, i tell them i said it's, it's it was a, it's a, it's a one hour podcast but i can be honest with you it's one well, hour it's one hour to those people if they want to tune out after an hour go ahead most people tune me off anyway after the first 30 minutes of anything so yeah, two hours and 26 minutes and 27 yeah. seconds yeah <laughs> yeah so Definitely. Well, uh, my friend, I appreciate you calling in. Definitely. Thanks. My name's Eddie. My name's Eddie, and Eddie? Uh, I've been. I, yeah, I joined a long, quite a some time ago. I don't know when I found out when I found you on YouTube, and then they, I got into your stuff, and then that was the beginning. I'm going to go get my license. Well, I never did. So I, I need to go on there and maybe do your course. I don't really need. There's a lot I don't need. You know, so if I do it in a month and get my license, you'll refund me the 11 months that I don't use. <laughs> oh, shoot. Uh, well, I tell you what I tell people with the with the 315. 
the sheer fact that you can go through there and, and, and answer the questions, but the, also to get access to the 800 exam style questions. Right. Uh, it's probably, probably most of the course, because I tell people studying for an exam, you have to study with a purpose. And you can't just flip through the code book and learn it. You have to go in there with a purpose. And so if you have exam questions that you can literally look up, then you're, you're in there, you're, you're going for the purpose, right? Yeah. If you could give me the exact exam, exam questions I'm going to be taking, that'd be awesome. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't, can't do that. I know. I know. That's not, that's not my point. No. I, I want to no, be However, however, I, I do give people, uh, for example, there are certain ones that I know is going to be on the Texas exam. And so I have podcasts on those topics and I might use some of the stuff, right? Some of the same references that you might see on the exam for those questions. Now, I don't tell you they're on the exam, but right. for example, new restaurant calculation and how you use that table, uh, 220.88, I, I kind of explain that. There's, there's exam oh. questions for calculations when dealing with a uh, single phase ranges on a three phase system. You have to know how to do that calculation. So I did, I did a video on that. Um, that type of thing. Um, is there st is there still a form out there to do load calculations for like a, a you know single family dwelling? A form? Yeah, there's there's a guy that you know did our yeah. four hour courses. You know, every yeah. year we had four hour train hour train. He gave us he had this form. He said it was real easy, and he uses it all the time. Yeah. Like how many receptacles do you have, and is this and this and this, and it was real easy. Yeah. So I have I have uh, the fast tracks program has a form in it. That hmm. it utilizes it's basically load calculation form, so it's an easy fill in right. the blank. It's actually created by Charles Miller. They're all pretty much the same concept. Is you just put in. Uh, it doesn't really talk about receptacles because the the code doesn't require the number of receptacles in a residence. So um, it, it only requires spacing and placement. So on a brand circuit, I can have a thousand receptacles on it if I want. Doesn't mean it's gonna. You know, the code doesn't tell me the limit. Whereas in commercial, you do have a limit, 180 VA, per, 180 VA per strap. In residential, if I want to put 45 receptacles on a brand circuit, nothing in the code says it, that I can't. Wow, I didn't know. I thought there was like a limit to eight. No, that's an urban, urban myth. Uh, I tell people for balancing out circuits, you typically want to be, if it's a 15-amp circuit, you would be anywhere from, uh, depending, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 to 11. When you're doing a 20 amp circuit, you can do up to 11 to 12 per. Um, yeah, but that's a rule of thumb. That's that's no requirement. Yeah. You got to know the load. So if I have a bunch of luminaires, right. that's a that's a that's a fixed load. I can look at the one. And now, of course, now most luminaires now are are LEDs or CFLs, so the wattage is pretty low. Um, but. Yep. Before, when we have incandescence, you know, 120 volts, you know, you're, you're typically looking at uh, a wattage of 100 watts. You're looking at roughly a little over, a, you know, about an amp of a luminaire, right? So I couldn't have a bunch of recesses in there and then a bunch of receptacles on those. Although, you know, I can have any number of receptacles, but it's the luminaires that are eating up my load. When they're on, they're on. Okay. Do you put the lighting with the receptacles? I always separated them. No, you can't put them on there if you want. 
Nothing yeah. in the code requires it to be separate. Yeah, again, you got to do your load calculation. If I had incandescence, I got to be careful. I might put the lighting on by itself because I might have six recess cans, you know, and uh, with the with the uh, hundred watt lamp in it, and or whatever. And then I might have a ceiling fan with a light kit or whatever. Then I might put that by myself. But nothing in the code says that I can't. It's very common to go around and hit the receptacles and then pop up and hit the light and hit the lighting in that bedroom. Do that entire bedroom on a 15 amp circuit. It's nothing in the code that says you can't do that. I guess it means how, how much money you want to spend, right? It's all about the copper. That's right. And, and since I deal with a com- company that makes copper, buy, buy, buy. Bigger the better. Mm-hmm. But, right. but yeah, it's just you have to design your electrical system. There's certain circuits that are given, they're required. Two small appliance brand circuits, one laundry circuit. Now you're required to have a garage circuit if you have a garage, of course. Um, so you have to have, you know, bathroom circuit. So there's certain ones that are required. You have to have your calculation for your minimum required based on, for example, 3VA per square foot, depending on the dimensions of your the dwelling. Right. right. Uh, and then you'll do your calculation there. Of course, you got some demand factors you get to apply in uh, 220.42 table, demand factor table. Um, but once you, and then yeah, of course, you've got your appliances. But as far as circuits... There's a, a code questions a lot of times is what's the minimum number of circuits that's required? Well, you have to read the question because you're required to have at least two 20 amp brand circuits, at least one laundry circuit, and at least you know, and at least one 20 amp bathroom circuit. Those are all under 210.11. So that right there is two, three, four. Then you're going to have to calculate out your three VA per square foot to come up with an actual VA. And then you can divide that VA, you know, at that point by the 120. Then you take that value and divide it by how many 15 breakers you're going to have. Yeah, that was on that form that I was talking about. I mean, that's, it made it easy. So you don't have to try to remember all that. Yeah. Can't take that that into an exam with you, though. Yeah, what can you take an exam with you? Can you Uh, have a. Texas, Texas, you're allowed to write in your code book. Uh, and, and I usually, when I'm teaching people, actually on my Facebook page, the um, the one for the exam prep forum, um, if you scroll down in my post, you'll see where I posted all the pictures from my code book showing all of the formulas that I recommend people put in their code book. Now, every state doesn't allow that. Texas is allowed as long as you put it in pen. And you can also highlight in your code book. You also can put tabs in your code book. But that's it. You can't write while you're there. You can't have pieces of loose leaf paper in there. Uh, those type of things. You can't have pencil in there. It's got to be permanent. So you do it in pen. Um, but no, Texas is, Texas does allow you all those things. Not every state does that, just but Texas does. Are tabs kind of rookie-ish? <laughs> uh, rookie? Ro- kind of rookie-ish? Having tabs on your code book? <laughs> Somebody said something told me about that. Tell them, tell, them, tell them to get over it. Whatever helps you find the code question, find the answer to the code quicker is fine. Now, <laughs> I have a 17 code book that's tabbed, and I haven't tabbed in my 2020. Uh, I, do I need the tabs? No, because I probably can just feel somewhat about where it's at in there, and I get there quick enough. But tabs make life easy. <laughs> tabs are nice. They're all in there, nice. As long as you put them in right, 
We had a girl at work put tabs in a book one time, and she just started putting them all at random. Man, that was a mess. That was terrible. Oh, my God. I told that girl, I said, you never, ever, ever get to put tabs in a code book ever again. She She looked at me, and she said, she said, mission accomplished. <laughs> she wasn't happy about doing it in the first place. So, you know, there you go. That's funny. That's what you do. That's what, that's what I do. When, I go to, when, it, when it's time to cook the turkey on Thanksgiving and my wife's around and she says, it's your job to cook the turkey, I put the thing in the pan upside down. I leave the neck in it. I, and I do all this kind of stuff. And she comes and looks at it and she goes, that's not the way you do it. And when I did that a couple years ago, guess what? I haven't had to do the turkey since. Oh, man. Priceless. <laughs> if you ever want to get somebody else to do something, just do it wrong in front of them, and then they take it over, and they'll never ask you to do it again. Well, I work with people like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the secret, secret to that. <laughs> Unless you're an electrician and you're doing that and you don't do it and the helper does it that way, then I end up firing him and getting somebody else. That's one thing about the electrical field, man. You, I've seen a lot, like they hire 13 people one day and they keep one of them at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, weeding it out. We have to find the best yeah. of the bunch. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot, Paul. I want to go. Yeah, I man. Want, well, thank I you. you very much. I'll All see right, you next brother. Saturday, I guess. All right. Thanks. You take care. Thanks. Bye bye. Hey, are we gonna be able to have more than one person on this? Yeah, I think the new the new system is is going to allow it. The only problem is, um, again, it's you, there's nothing I can do about the feedback, so people have to turn off their whatever's feeding back. Well, that's on the listen to the podcast. You know, you listen to podcast live, but you mm-hmm. know, not using Skype. <laughs> that's what happened. I had it on at the same time I was. Skype and you answered and then we had yeah you had the podcast going so right. there's no way I can get around that if callers call in and they've got that running in the background and they got Skype on then we're I'm gonna it, what's it, the, the show is gonna feed back through the mic so it I, could have mul- I could have had multiple people on there tonight but when Alex was on there for example we had the feedback through your you had playing and you had Skype running. So, and I couldn't do anything about it. So he ended up just leaving. I'm sorry about that. No, we talked for a long, we talked for a long time. We talked about all kinds of things. It's all Thank good. You. It's nice talking to you. Thank all you right, so man. much. Well, you take care. Yeah. Happy new year. All right. You too. Bye. All right, folks. Well, for anybody that uh, hung in there with me for this long, and I appreciate it. I had, usually these are only going to go an hour, but I was excited. We got some calls and got to talk about some things. But usually these are only going to an hour, and we're going to have special guests and we'll have topics and all. But this was the first one. Uh, because I knew that I'd have some kinks. I knew that I'd have some bugs. And I know what bugs I have. Um, usually when we do this, and I've done it in the past with callers, when a caller already knows that he's going to do this, they don't have the podcast playing in the background. So so when you have a call in, it's just like if you ever called on a radio show. And a radio show where the guy goes, can you turn off your turn down your radio? 
same concept. So in the future, um, we have to make sure, and, and, and I'm probably going to have to have somebody that screens the calls so that we can make sure that they turn off their the, the podcast because they can always start it up again after we're finished, okay? Anyway, if they're on the podcast, then you don't need to listen to the podcast. That's what I'm talking about. Anyway, appreciate you folks. Till next time, stay with us next week. We have a good topics coming up. Go to Electrician Live to see what next week's topics are. And be sure to call in. We'll talk about them. Till next time, folks, stay safe. God bless.